In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell in us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. Sit down. We are now up to, with God's help, Talk 46. And for the last few talks, we have been learning a couple of things that people have said that they found quite surprising. And unfortunately, it's something that even though it's so obvious, people don't know. So we have Orthodox Christians today struggling but don't know what they're struggling for. And I read last time, and I think maybe even the time before, something that St Ignatius Branchinov wrote, and he said the following, where if you don't learn anything from this talk, at least learn the following. Because without this, everything's worthless. And he said, true Christianity and true monasticism consists in the practice of the commandments of the gospel. Where this practice is absent, there is neither Christianity nor monasticism, whatever the outward appearance may be. Now that to me is very powerful and people don't know it. And what does he mean by whatever the outward appearance may be? He gave an example uh, in, in, in which he said that there are in the church ascetics, people that, were, that lived in the desert, who, were, who used to do ascetical feats that were marvellous. For example, they wouldn't eat for days, didn't drink, lived by themselves, some lived in graveyards, some lived in the caves where they were being, um, so they can be attacked by um, demons and things like that. They didn't sleep. And St Ignatius says that this is marvellous but worthless because he said that a lot of those ascetics had no idea that the true aim of the Christian life is the keeping of the commandments. They didn't even... They didn't even think about the commandments because for them the most important thing was to keep these, um, these certain practices and ever since I've been saying this for quite a few talks now as I'm reading and people are coming back to me because people hear the talks and they come back and they say look what I found in a book so Elder um, Ephraim or Elder Joseph or other saints of the church they all say the same thing. And they say that if we are not keeping the commandments of Christ, then whatever else we do is worthless. For example, some people say, oh, but fasting's the most important. But Muslims fast as well. Jews fast as well. And the Hindus fast as well. They, they go for days. Some say to be able to pray for long periods of time. They all do that as well. 
But we read that some saints became... Uh, uh, we know that they are saints, and they did those things. Yes, they did those practices, but at the same time, they kept the commandments. That's just part of the commandments. Christ said to fast, yes. Christ said to pray, yes. But that's one aspect. Christ didn't become man and come to earth and just say, I command you just to fast or just to pray. He said that fasting and prayer is important and other things, other ascetical um, practices. However, as we're going to see soon, if you love me and keep my commandments and I will pray that the, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. In other words, Christ says here, if you love me, in other words, if you love God, you show that love by keeping the commandments. And if you keep the commandments, Christ says, then I will send, as he says here, another helper, the spirit of truth, which in other words, which is the Holy Spirit, which then it confirms basically what Saint Seraphim of Sarov says, where he says that the aim of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. And how do we acquire the Holy Spirit? Through good works, Saint Seraphim says, which in reality good works are the commandments of Christ. And that's why in the last talk we studied the Ten Commandments and we studied the Beatitudes. And from that we learnt the commandments. But there's another thing which we can look at to help us understand what are the commandments. And that is the teaching on the toll houses. But before we go on to that, some people say to me, the commandments are too difficult. How can you keep the commandments when you live in the world? Christ gave difficult teachings. What happens if you can't keep the commandments? Well, if you can't keep the commandments, all of us, if we fail which we all do, then we have repentance, a free gift. Christ says, you fall, I'll forgive you. You fall 70 times 7, I'll forgive you 70 times 7. There's no sin which Christ does not forgive. So, last month, I said like a person needs two legs to stand. Well, we need two legs in the spiritual life. The first is the practising of the commandments of Christ and the second leg at the same time is repentance. Those two make us an orthodox Christian. If you've got one without the other, it doesn't work. The commandments and repentance. Now, and just one more thing I forgot to read, or two things. Another thing which Christ says, if, if anyone loves me and he will keep my word, and when he says you keep my word, it means you keep my teachings, and when he says you keep my teachings, it means you do the commandments. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me does not keep my words. And who's we? We means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in the person who does the commandments of Christ. And St. Ignatius writes that it is evident that God comes to the heart of the person who carries out the commandments and makes his heart a temple and dwelling of God. That's why it's very important for us to study the commandments. And therefore, I say it is blasphemy when someone does not read the gospel, the New Testament especially, it means that we have disregard for the commandments of God. And that's blasphemy. And we will give word. Because when we die and we stand in front of Christ and he's going to have all the world there, whether Jews, Muslims, whatever, everyone's going to be there. And you know who will condemn us? The her a lot of the heretics who actually read the gospel. The Protestants say we have to read the gospel and a lot of them do. But in the Orthodox Church, Hardly no one reads the gospel, the New Testament. If we are guilty of that, then let's fix it up before it's too late. We need to understand that God has given us his word. And in his gospels, he teaches us what he wants us to do. If we ignore that, it's like someone just saying... There's a married couple and the man goes to war. He's over in Iraq or something like that. Or Iraq, as the Americans say. So he's over there and his wife's here. And he writes letters to his wife. Of course, they, 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 have, they have to have... Obviously, they love each other, as they say. But then he comes home only to find that his letters are just thrown to the side. Most of the envelopes aren't even opened. What does that mean? How will that man feel? Will that man then think that his wife really loves him? Well, that's the same as Christ. If we love God, then we will read his word with diligence every day, even a little part as long as it's every day and we keep to it. And when we fail, we repent. Then we try again the next day. Saint Macarius of Optina, he said, just to sh show what I was saying, when someone, when someone forces himself only toward prayer, so when someone struggles to pray, but only that, because we have Orthodox Christians that only pray or only fast, etc. While he does not exert or force himself with regard to humility, to love, to gentleness, and the other independent virtues, in other words, the other commandments, then he says that person will not be able to receive the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll fall away. I've met many people that have come to me and they say, I'm praying and praying and praying. I said, but how about the commandments? Praying, praying, but the commandments. They don't care about the commandments. 
All they care about is to, because they read in the books that the saints used to pray and fast, so therefore that's what they're going to do. But every saint says, including St John Chrysostom, whoever does that is not going to reach the kingdom of heaven. So, now we come to the toll houses. In the prologue, which is the St Nikolai Velimirovich's book at the back there, there's two volumes some, and some versions of four volumes, there is a little story there. St Cosmas, a 14th century saint, who's commemorated September 22nd, was so discerning that later, as an old man and a solitary, he saw from his cave the abbot of Hillander ascending up towards heaven. So we have this ascetic, who obviously lives somewhere in Manathos near Hillander Monastery, which is a Serbian monastery, and St. Cosmas was there living on his own as a solitary. And he noticed, because he had the discernment, or sorry, he saw the soul of the abbot of the monastery of Hillandar ascending through the air. And he was striving to pass through the toll houses. So St. Cosmas noticed that the abbot was struggling to pass through the toll houses and that he was being tormented by the demons. And he saw this in the air. Cosmas immediately sent someone to the brethren at Hillandar to tell them to pray for the soul of their dead abbot. This happened after matins. So they did the morning service, and that was the matins, and the monks had just come out of the church with the abbot. So when they heard the message of, of, of St. Cosmas, the monks laughed at him and said that the abbot's not dead, he just finished matins and he's gone back to his room to prepare for liturgy. They said he's not here. I don't know. He might say, why is the elder saying that he's died for? When they went to check in his cell, in his room, they found him that he indeed had died. So, here we read specifically that the abbot was striving to pass through the toll houses and that he was being tormented by demons. But not only that, in the prologue, also, uh, sorry, in the life of the Holy Virgin Mother of God the, on her Domitian, it says, or St. Nicholas, so he writes, he makes a comment about that. He says, Oh, how much there is for every one of the faithful to learn from the life of the Virgin Mother of God. We see how she prayed for quick departure from this life so that when separated from her body, her soul would not encounter the prince of darkness and his horrors and that she not see the dark regions and therefore not see the punishment of those darkened by sin. She didn't want to see those people in hell as well and she didn't want to see the demons. And then St Nikolai says, see how terrible it is for the soul to pass through the toll houses. Now, many years ago, about four years ago, I did a talk and somehow in the talk I mentioned this particular incident that the mother of God was fearful to go through the toll houses. And 
I mentioned it and left it at that. And then a wife of someone, and we'll speak in one day, mentioned that her husband heard that particular part of the uh, talk and said that he became fearful. And then I thought about it, because I always take notice of people's comments, and I thought about it, and I, and I actually could see that I gave half the story in that particular talk. I just said that the mother of God was scared to go through the toll houses, so what then is for us? So today I'm going to complete the story. So that was wrong what I did there. I should have actually joined it with other things. But anyway, um, we learn from mistakes. So that's one part. So we've read that the toll houses in the prologue for the life of St. Cosmas. Uh, now we're going to see that the toll houses are also mentioned in the services of the church. And actually, they were even mentioned today in the paraclesis of the uh, Quick to Hear. I'll read you what I've got here. There's a book, there's a service book in the Orthodox Church called the Ochtoichos, which means the Book of Eight Tones. Those service books aren't really used much in parishes, they're used in monasteries. And the person responsible for the Ochtoichos, I think most of it, if not all of them, is St. John Damascene, a great father of the Orthodox Church. And in one part of the service, he writes, O virgin, in the hour of my death, rescue me from the hands of the demons and the judgment and the accusation and the frightful testing and the bitter toll houses and the fierce prince and eternal condemnation, O mother of God. So from that, again, there is no doubt that there is a specific reference to the toll houses. When the saints write this, some people say, oh, they wrote it for us. The saints, when they wrote prayers, that's what they felt. Not that they're writing it for us. St. John Damascene, when he wrote that prayer and all his prayers, all his hymns, etc., he is expressing what he feels in his soul. And what he feels in his soul is the way Orthodox Christians should feel. So he says clearly there, rescue me at the hour of my death from the demons, the judgment, the accusation, the testing, the toll houses, etc., etc. So now we go to one more uh, aspect, which is the writings of the Holy Fathers. Because remember, some people actually say, including priests, that the toll houses don't exist. But I'm going to be doing that more in the next talk. St. John Chrysostom, he writes, describing the hour of death, the following. These are St. John's words. Then, at the time of death, we will need many prayers, many helpers, many good deeds, a great intercession from angels on the journey through the spaces of the air. If, when travelling in a foreign land or in a strange city, we're in need of a guide, how much more necessary for us are guides and helpers uh, to guide us past the invisible authorities and powers and world rulers of the air who are called persecutors and publicans and tax collectors. That's what he calls, that's what they call toll houses, because they do, um, that they're collecting tax in a sense. But we'll explain that later. Now, in Elder Ephraim's book, here, and this is called Councils from the Holy Mountain. 
So Elder Ephraim, who's the spiritual father of the um, St. Anthony's Monastery in Arizona, ha has got this book and uh, counsels from the Holy Mountain. So this book expresses the spirit of Manathos. So let's look at that. Uh, okay. He says in his book, which I found quite nice, he says, Oh, how will I pass... This is himself speaking. Now, people consider him as a holy man. And they go, oh, he can't speak like that because he's holy. People have no idea what's holiness. People think that we're so confused today of what is holy. But... Um, People think that holy is someone who's perfect. That's how the Catholic Church thinks. Remember that when they have to determine if someone's a saint or not, they look at whether their life is basically perfect and one or two miracles, not knowing that miracles can be done by, fake, by faith healers and, other, and everyone else. So... I mean, even magicians can do miracles. So that's just how stupid that is. But anyway, so we might as well canonise and make an, an, a Catholic saint. You know, a lot of the uh, Hinduists in, in um, India, they do miracles too, even though the miracles that they do are demonic. A silly criteria. But anyway, let's have a look how Elder Ephraim expresses it. Oh, how will I pass through the toll houses? I wonder when will I pass through them? Who knows which one will stop me? How will I look at the fearful face of the just judge? How will I hear his frightful voice of reproof? What terror will seize me until I hear the eternal decision regarding whether I should be, where I should be placed? And what if I am sent to hell, and justly so? Woe to my wretched soul. That's the prayer which is how we all should think. That's how we should feel. We should think about the toy houses, etc. But we'll see another one he said here. In his same book, he says, There was another saved soul being carried up by the angels of God into heaven. Other angels who had just taken another soul to heaven descended and embraced that soul. So it's like he's saying that there are souls going up, angels coming down, taking people, souls, and helping them through the toll houses. And if they, get, if they are saved, they go to heaven and then off up, down they come again, the angels, to pick up more souls. That's basically what it's saying. So one soul that was saved was being carried up by the angels and other angels that had just left a soul in heaven was coming down. And the, the, it says here, other angels who had just taken another soul to heaven descended and embraced that soul and he sensed, the soul sensed, an ineffable, unspeakable fragrance from the embrace of those angels who had approached the throne of God. And the angels said, Glory to God who helped this soul to be saved. See, this is the, as we say in Greek, phronima. This is the, the attitude, the mentality of the saints. That's what they speak about. Am I going to be saved? What's going to happen? We have to have what's called a holy anxiety. Now, some people say we're scaring people or this is not appropriate but I will tell you that whoever says that is actually 
speaking the words of the demons because the demons do not want us to think about toll houses. Where else are the toll houses found? They're also found in scripture. St. Paul in his epistles writes, the spirits of wickedness under the heavens. And when we say under the heavens, it means in the air. And another quote, he says, the prince of the powers of the air. The prince of the powers meaning the demons. So what does this mean? The word of God and holy tradition revealed to us that the space between heaven and earth, in other words, the air, is the dwelling of the fallen angels who were cast down from heaven. In other words, the demons live in the air. If we had spiritual eyes and our eyes opened, we would see them. But God protects us not to see them because we'd probably get a heart attack. Those who had discernment, those who had the Holy Spirit, could see them. St. Anthony, etc., the ascetic that we read before. The fallen angels do not cease to disturb all human societies and every person separately. That's their job, to, to tempt people, to tempt society, to tempt individuals. There is no evil deed, there is no crime of which they are not instigators and participants. They're the ones that push people, they're involved, etc. They incline and instruct people towards sin by all possible means. That is why the Holy Apostle Peter writes in his epistle, uh, first epistle, chapter 5, line 8, he says, Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may eat. So St. Peter is comparing the devil to a lion. See, the lion's very quiet, sneaks up, and then pounces. St. Peter is saying that the demons do the same thing. They're very tricky, quiet, coming, and then attacking the person and who doesn't even know that he's there. Not only does this warfare take place during our earthly life, so obviously we have demonic warfare while we're living, but it also takes place after the separation of the soul from the body. In other words, after we've died. After the death of a Christian, when the soul leaves the body, the soul attempts to pass through the aerial realm. The aerial realm means the region of the air, like we saw in the abbot of Hilanda. His soul was going through the air. And why is he going through the air? In order to reach heaven. As the soul ascends towards heaven, the demons attempt to stop it. It is in this region, in other words the air, where the newly departed souls of people encounter the evil spirits. And these fallen angels are referred to as aerial spirits. Because, as I said, they live in the air. That's a little bit of orthodox dogma there. That's what the church teaches. According to the Holy Fathers, this is now a, the definition which is from that same book that I just had there, the, the um, Councils from the Holy Mountain by Elder Frem. There's, at the back there's definitions. And the definition of the toll houses that, that is, is written there, it says, according to the Holy Fathers, 
When a person dies, his soul ascends to the throne of God to be judged. And the demons, as tax collectors, that's how the fathers call them, try to prevent his ascent at various toll houses where they examine if the soul has sins that have not been confessed. And they even accuse the soul of sins not even not committed. So they say, you did this, you did that. But they also lie and say, you did this and you did that, which is not true. That same thing happens today while people are living. Because people notice and they say, oh, I had a very bad thought. They become more upset and become depressed and they say, oh, I've got some blasphemous thoughts or I've got some thoughts about people and they become upset because they, because they believe it's their thoughts. So it's the same thing. Therefore, we have to get used to it from here so that we don't fall when we go through the air later on. We have to get used to to understand that a lot of the thoughts that are coming are not ours and not to believe and become upset and give up because that's what the demons want. They want us to give up. Of course, those who are struggling get that. As for worldly people, well, most of the thoughts they've got is how to look beautiful and how to make money, etc. So they're not going to have those thoughts. We're talking about people that are struggling. And we have to ignore it. The fathers teach that when we have thoughts, we try to shoo them away. We make a small prayer and ignore it is the best. You know, you're reading a book and as you're reading your spiritual book, all of a sudden you have a blasphemous thought. How did that happen? Like a blasphemous thought. You don't stop and think and go, oh, how did that happen? And start playing with them. You just ignore it and go on. After a couple of lines, you already forgot and you actually forget what even the thought was. That's one thing that the fathers say. Ignore. If, however... After a period of time, these thoughts are persisting, then you go to confession and express the thought to the spiritual father so he can read you the prayer. And a lot of times, the grace helps to get rid of the prayer, especially when God sees humility. I remember many years ago that someone confessed of some horrible thought, which I don't even want to express, but it was a horrible thought, and... Um, I knew straight away that it wasn't his, and I said to him, don't worry about it. So I read him the prayer. After that, went away. Completely went away. Humility. So he came with humility. He says, I've got this thought. I can't get rid of it. I'm very upset. Uh, you know, read the prayer. That's it. People lack humility. People don't go to express their thoughts or their feelings. They prefer to go to a psychiatrist. But why can't we go to the priest? Does that mean the psychiatrist don't help? They can help to a certain level, maybe just to express some things. Uh, so he said here that the demons they accuse people. If so, they cast the soul into hell at once before it even reaches the throne of God. Now, the teaching of the toll houses is frightening. We are blessed to have a metropolitan who was brought up in... Jordanville. He was a monastic for years and then he became a bishop, etc. And therefore, he has no problems in these type of talks being presented. But let me tell you that 
in many churches in general, it's forbidden for priests to speak about this topic. That's how bad it's got. But let's leave that for the next talk because I don't want to defile the air with them. There are many who say that the teachings of the toll houses is frightening and that the faithful shouldn't read or listen to such things. However, we must remember that many aspects of Christ's teachings were also frightening. So does that mean we shouldn't read the Bible? And perhaps we shouldn't even read the lives of saints or the writings of the fathers, because, or perhaps we should throw away the octoikos, the service, and throw away the paraklesis that we just did and disregard St John Chrysostom's teaching. And another great saint who wrote on this topic was St Kira of Alexandria, one of the greatest saints of the Orthodox Church. So that's why be careful what you listen to because the demons can also work through clergy. As soon as someone is teaching something which is not orthodox, run for the hills. So, anyone who says that the toll houses don't exist, or that, we shouldn't, that, that people shouldn't know it, you run for the hills. That's, that's basically a very simple, um, some simple advice. So, should we not read the Holy Fathers? Should we not read the lives of saints? And should we throw away the service of the church? And next month, God willing, I will be using more, re I will be actually quoting more references from services, from the Fathers, etc., from the lives of saints, to see how much it, how, and, and which fathers mention them. And you'd be quite surprised. The greatest dogmatic theologian of the 20th century was Saint Eustin Popovich, a Serbian saint. And he wrote quite a lot on the topic of the toll houses. And he's, he's regarded as the greatest dogmatic theologian of the church in the 20th century. He wrote volumes of works, and that's one of the topics. Now, you can see why I get a bit upset and I become angry because you can't regard those people. doesn't matter if they're bishops and doesn't matter if they're priests and doesn't matter if an angel of light comes down and preaches anything different to the Orthodox Church, we disregard them. Make sh we must be careful not to fall under the anathema of the church. And the anathema of the church means to be cut off from the church. And even if the church doesn't formally say, this person's cut off, as, Saint, as I wrote in the book, um, as I put together in the book here, the Curse Grid Icon book, I, I had two pages in there, one by St. John, Archbishop of Shanghai, and the other one by... They'll find the recluse, I think, and he said, it doesn't matter if the church hasn't formally excommunicated someone, cut them off, anathematized them. They said there, as soon as you start to think differently to what the church says, you are under the anathema.
So let's look at some teachings of Christ quickly that are using the, the worldly words scary. Or scary, scary. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's number one. Into the everlasting fire. Number two. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his, in, in his bosom, like holding. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Scary. Number three. Friend, how did you come here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing, like biting the teeth. Uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And what do I say now? Scary. Number four. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And instead of a full stop, we just say scary. Example five. Now, I read in the prologue earlier on that St. Cosmas saw the abbot of Hillander ascending up towards heaven and striving to pass through the toll gates tormented by demons. And in St. Nikolai's account of the Domitian of the Theotokos, what did he write there? Her soul wouldn't, that she prayed that her soul would not encounter the prince of darkness and his horrors. And also in the Octoichos, St. John Damascene says, Rescue me from the frightful testing and the bitter toll houses, O Mother of God. And number eight, the teaching of St. John Chrysostom on the toll houses where he said, To guide us past the invisible authorities and powers and world rulers of the air. And number nine, remember what I read from the Bible where St. Paul in, the, in Ephesians said, the spirits of wickedness under the heavens, in other words, the spirits in the air, and, in the, and a little bit, and he says, and their chief is the prince of the powers of the air. And the last one, number 10, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So if we are to listen to these stupid people, then we have to basically cut out most of the Bible and have left what they want, which is a humanistic thing. It's just like a humanistic book of doing good, joining the Rotary Club and doing, selling some chocolates for 20 cents. And but that's what they want. And that's why the church has been just about, in many places... You can't even tell an Orthodox church from a Protestant church except that the Orthodox church has some icons and that's about it. Father Michael Pomazansky, who wrote this book here, Orthodox Dogmatic Theology, which is published by the St. Herman of Alaska Brotherhood, Platina, and this Father Michael was a priest of the Russian church abroad, but he lived, I think, in Russia before the revolution. And the Russians had him as a great theologian, as, a, as an authority. He also writes on, the, um, on this topic, but he says the following. In the writings of the apostles and the Holy Fathers, there are warnings about the future and how we shall have to give an account of our lives. 
we read stern homilies, like strict homilies, giving pictures of the future judgment which awaits us after death. These homilies were intended to bring sinners to their senses. See, in the first few centuries, the fathers didn't really speak too much when they used to preach or write. They didn't really speak that much in this way about the fearful things because Christians lived so close to being killed and martyred, they were already, in a way, one foot in the next life. They already were thinking about the next life because being a Christian meant any moment that you could be killed. So they were already living with this anticipation of the next life. But once Christianity became free, where St Constantine issued his edict in 313 and said no one's allowed to persecute Christians anymore, then their people began to become slack. They began, they began to forget about the next life. And that's why the Holy Fathers started to preach and write more strictly and trying to bring people to think about it. Um, so S Father Michael says here, threats are necessary. They can and should warn us and restrain us from evil actions. Because why? i add there. Because if we know that we're going to give an account, then that helps us not to do sins. When we forget about the next life, eat, drink, be merry and do what you want. At the same time, the church teaches us, says Father Michael, that the Lord is, yes, he, is, uh, he will be a strict judge on the last day, but at the same time, the church teaches us that the Lord is compassionate and merciful, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and is grieved over the evil doings of men. And I've said this in previous talks. Remember I said we have the balance, which is the mistake I made in the talk on the, Dom on the Domitian. I mentioned the fearfulness of the toll houses of the Mother of God, but you have to balance. And that's why when you read the trapari of the church, the hymns, like I've done in the past, it says, O Lord, spare me and do not, you know, do not send me to the hell fire where the worm doesn't stop eating the fire, etc., etc., et because I deserve it, because I'm sinful, etc., but because you are merciful, save me. See, that's the balance in the orthodox world. In the Protestant world, in the old Protestant world, it was always fire and brimstone. You're going to go to hell, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. But in the um, Orthodox Church, we have a balance. There are, of course, people, uh, in clergy, etc., who only mention that God is merciful. That's heresy as well, you see. The proper teaching is that God is a judge, that hell does exist, that Christ will come again. We've glorified judge the living and the dead. But we know that before the second coming, that God can still show his mercy and love, etc., even for those that have died, which will come to it soon. So, Father Michael says that um, at the same time the church teaches that the Lord, the Lord is compassionate, etc., and is grieved over our evil deeds. Now, Metropolitan Yerothos Vlakos, in his book, The Soul... Mm, it was another book, I don't know what it is now, The Soul After Death, something like that, not this one, another one. He says... The topic of the toll houses is a reality. 
which we need to look at in order to prepare ourselves for the dreadful hour of death. It's a reality. We can't say it doesn't exist because some people are upset with it. In the world, there's a lot, which I'm going to go through that more in the next talk. In the world, there's a lot of warnings. I had a whole list of it, but I said I'm not going to do it this, this time. But even one is the cigarette packets showing disgusting lungs and people's green teeth. But yet, that's what they do. And they go to the schools and they show, um, uh, they do alcohol and drug programs there. And they even take, a, sometimes they take some young people in wheelchairs who are, who, are, who are going to speak and say, I was drunk one night and I was silly and I think, and here I am, I'm in my wheelchair. Scary, what do we do? We don't do it. So in the world they use those techniques. And much more, but I'll go through that next time. So Metropolitan says here, the topic of the Thai houses is a reality which we need to look at in order to prepare ourselves for that dreadful hour of death. What follows is not written in order to cause anxiety, like when I say anxiety, I mean bad anxiety. Obviously, there's holy anxiety. We all have, we all have to have anxiety. Are we going to be saved, etc.? But anxiety means something which is negative. But to bring us to repentance, that's the purpose, which has joy as its result. Because anything which brings us to repentance unites us with Christ. And when we're united with Christ, we have joy. So where's the problem? For he who has the gift of the Holy Spirit and is united with Christ avoids the terrible presence and activity of the tile houses. So the whole problem is not, the Metropolitan says, that the whole problem is not to be afraid of the demons of the tile houses, but as long as we live our lives, in other words, to cure our souls and our whole soul of passions, to partake of the uncreated grace of God, like St. Seraphim says, the aim of the Christian life is to acquire the grace of the Holy Spirit, so that the departure of our soul from our body may be a matter of joy and delight. And let's look at that. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Now we come to the toll houses. I have kept most of it. I think I might be able to cut out just a couple of little parts. There are two books, or three books. Okay, I've mentioned this book before, Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave, is a book written, it's published by the Holy Trinity Monastery, Jordanville, in New York. This is an excellent book, details, and a lot of people that have read it, including myself when I first read it years ago, it's simple, wonderful, and it's good to have. Then we have the book The Soul After Death by Father Seraphim Rose, which I, will, which I, do, I always use. Uh, excellent as well, just a little bit more difficult. Sometimes he writes um, a little bit, um, kind of a bit more sophisticated English. So some people that are a little bit weak in reading might find that out, but still there's a lot of good things there. Then we have The Journey Beyond Death, which is the teaching on the toll houses taken from this book. So this, this little pamphlet, the, the Journey Beyond Death, which is also written, um, published by Holy Trinity, is part of this book. So if you get this book, then you don't need this book. If you don't want this book and you want just the Taj, you get that book. 
But my opinion is you get that book. The, um, you get the Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave. So, the account of the toll houses is found in the life of St. Basil the New and his disciples. Basil lived in the first half of the 10th century. He first lived as an ascetic in a forest of Asia Minor. One day he was arrested by the imperial officers uh, who suspected him of being a spy. Constantinople were always kind of scared that there was Arabs and spies that are going to attack, try and take the city, etc. So they somehow suspected that St Basil was a spy, that he was sent by someone to look at the area and watch everything so that he can go back and tell the enemy to come. He was taken to Constantinople where he was interrogated and tortured very harshly in various ways. After some time he was released and lived for many years in freedom in Constantinople. He knew people's secrets and their thoughts. He foretold the future and he worked great miracles. He corrected the corrupt morals of many who lived in Constantinople. It's very important to know that even though Constantinople was an orthodox city, it was very uh, lax. A lot of, lot of sin. St John Chrysostom in his sermons kept on saying, don't go to the races, don't do this, don't do that. If you read his sermons, you'll see he constantly was telling the people not to do that. It was a very rich but worldly uh, city. And it's important to know that to see when we talk about Theodora. Two of St Basil's well-known disciples were Theodora and Gregory. Theodora served St Basil for many years and became a nun from him. Before she had become a nun, she was married. So perhaps, I don't know, I haven't got the full life, but perhaps her husband died. She would, uh, she would receive everyone joyfully, fervently loved Christ, was compassionate and pure, and possessed spiritual discernment. Soon after this, she reposed. So uh, shortly after she became a nun, she died. I don't know how long. All who loved the venerable Basil mourned Theodora, who was their intermediate. She was like their go-between. People would go to her and say, can you tell the, the elder to pray for us or can you arrange an appointment for us to see the elder? And when she died, people were upset. St Basil the New is commemorated on March the 26th. Now, Gregory, the other disciple, one can say spiritual brother of Theodora, because they both had the same spiritual father, Gregory strongly desired to learn whether Theodora had been deemed worthy of divine mercy and consolation on account of the unselfish assistance she provided the older. In other words, Gregory wanted to know whether Theodora had been saved. That's a question people ask. When their father dies or someone dies, were they saved? Of course, a baptised child is saved. However, because we, we are inclined to do sins, that's the question. But today people don't even think about that. They just say, oh, I'm going to miss my husband or wife or father or mother or brother or sister, but not thinking about their soul. 
Yes, they do panahirism, memorial prayers and things like that, but they don't really think about where their soul is. Some even have some stupid ideas that the person can see them. Where souls are, they can't see. Only God allows exceptional, under exceptional circumstances, some saints, he allows them to come down. And there have been some cases, as you read in the Eternal Missions Beyond the Grave, where some souls were allowed to appear to people not to tell them to water the garden, not to tell them to what, you know, some stupidities like those mediums do. Like when you see it there on television, these mediums, they say, yes, I, the person's talking to me. As your father died, they'll ask. No. Uh, must be your grandfather. No. Uh, do you have anyone that's died? Yeah, oh, that's him. Okay, that person, he's telling me that you need to, you know, take care of the dog or some of that stupidities. When God allows the souls to come, they come for two reasons. One, to ask for prayers from the living, or two, to tell the people to change their lives so that they don't lose their souls. That's it. Simple as that. Simple Simon, as we used to play when we were at school. Remember Simple Simon says and all that? That's it. Anything, about, anything outside of that is demonic. So, Gregory wanted to know what happened to Theodora. So Gregory went and asked the blessed Basil a number of times, Elder, tell me, do you know, do you know what's happened to her? But of course, Basil did not answer. I remember once when I read in the life of St. John of Cronstan, whereby someone asked him about someone who died. He goes, I don't know, I'm upset. Do you know what happened? Do you know what happened to their soul? And St. John of Cronstan stopped, prayed for a while, was quiet, was praying. And then he opened his eyes and said, the person found mercy. In other words, they were, they were saved. But, of course, that gift is given to some of the saints. So, Gregory believed firmly that the saint of God, Basil, would know the state of her soul. Worn out by Gregory's continual pleading and not wishing to upset his spiritual child, Elder Basil decided to beg the Lord to reveal Theodora's spiritual state to Gregory in a vision. <clears throat> that very night, St. Basil prayed for this and the following happened. Theodora appeared to Gregory in a dream. Gregory was overjoyed to see Theodora and spoke with her at length as though she was still alive. From this conversation, Gregory was much comforted. He inquired about what kind of suffering she endured at the hour of death. He wanted to know how she suffered at the time that she died and how the soul separated from the body, what she saw as she died, and her journey past the aerial spirits. Theodora described to him in great detail the hour of her death, the torments of the 20 toll houses through which every soul must pass. Every orthodox Christian passes the toll houses. Unbaptized don't pass the toll houses. Theodora said, 
Gregory, you asked me about things which are truly terrifying and frightening even to remember. When the hour of my death came, I saw faces such I'd never seen before and heard words such as I'd never heard. How can I describe it? I was confronted with everything shameful and sinful I had done but forgotten. But how, how shall I tell you about the pain and distress of those who are dying? See, for me, yes, it's, it is, it is, a, it is um, fearful, but at the same time, do we want to actually come to that time not knowing anything? Do we want to come to our death not even knowing how to pray so that we can be helped? Do we want to come to our death where we haven't organised for people to commemorate us? Like, how stupid can we be if we don't want to know? By the way, I said in the last talk, the talk before, that Christ says that we should never call anyone stupid or fool. And then in that talk, I said about something like, oh, how stupid. And some people might get up, might get confused. When Christ says not to call someone fool or that, he's talking about personal. Because the same person, meaning Christ, later on he says, oh, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. And if you read the prologue of St. Nicolai, many times he actually says, and some ignoramuses and some stupid people believe this, this and this and this. So when I say stupid, if I'm saying, for example, if, if Gregory over there does something personal to me and irritates me and I go, oh, you're an idiot, that's a sin. But if Gregory says to me some stupidity which is not orthodox, etc., I say you're an idiot well, by thinking like that. that. That's not good. You see, that's different. So I'll say it again. Only an idiot would not want to know about the time of their death what happens and to be caught off guard. When I drew near to the end of my life and the time of my departure had come, I saw a great multitude of demons who had surrounded my sickbed. Their faces were black, their eyes were like glowing coals. Their entire appearance was as frightening and evil as fiery hell itself. They began to make noises like animals, barking like dogs, howling like wolves and grunting like pigs. And that's true because the possessed people, when, when, they, when they go to the church and they read prayers, exorcisms, a lot of times they make these noises. As they looked at me, they were full of anger, they threatened me, kept rushing at me and grinding their teeth, snapping their jaws and appeared ready to destroy me. However, they seemed to wait for a judge who had not yet come but would do so. They were preparing lists and were rolling up scrolls on which were written all my evil deeds. So they were waiting. But this shows here, it shows the true spirit of the demons the hate that they've got for the creation of God. The, 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 the demons were once angels, as you know, or they still are angels, but they're fallen. They were bright angels. And when they fell because of their pride and they didn't want to repent, God gave their place where they were in heaven, he gave their place to mankind, to people. We fill their places and that's what they can't stand. And that's why they shows a very good way of explaining. They were full of anger, they threatened me, they kept rushing and grinding their teeth, snapping their jaws and appeared ready to destroy me. 
So they had all these things written, all my sins. Fear and violent trembling seized my miserable soul. Remember, she hasn't died yet. I was afraid both of bitter death and the death and the dreadful glare and appearance of the frightening demons. No matter which way I turned to escape their faces and voices, I could not rid myself of them. They were numberless and there was no one to help me. When a priest is called to the deathbed of people, it, they do notice that, that there are uh, many times that the people that are dying looking around, they've seen things, fear and things like that. Of course, doctors try to say that that's just something that happens when they're dying and it's psychological, etc. But they can say what they want. I'm not really interested in what they, what, what they think. I'm just telling you just so that you know psychiatrists, they all got their little answers. Psychiatry, uh, I made a mistake once I said that psychiatrists don't believe. I should say the study of psychology is a godless study. They don't believe in soul, they don't believe in demons, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in anything. There are some psychologists, psychiatrists that do believe, but their, their um, discipline, as we say, is godless. When people ring me up, and tell me someone's dying, etc. I said, get a priest. Get the priest to come and get him to read the canon for the departure of the soul. That is, that is such a great help. As I've said before, there's a prayer which is called for the departure of the soul and there's another prayer after the departure of the soul. All this helps the person. An orthodox priest Praying for the soul is the most powerful of them all. If I didn't tell you that, how would you have known? If you didn't come, how would you have known? Some people don't even know that. Once there, I read that there was a person dying, I think they couldn't get a priest, and the person was shaking and very, like, was... Um, all and by the way, it doesn't mean when a person's acting like that that it means that they're very sinful. That God sometimes allows, as it says the fathers, the fear before death helps to cleanse them and make their position in the next life better. Anyway, and then the people straight away said, let's, let's read the paraclesis to the mother of God, like that there. And they began to sing the paraclesis and the person began to calm, calm, calm and died. And that's even without a priest. And another thing is that all orthodox monasteries around the world pray morning, night, through the night, etc. Ascetics pray continually for the world. They're praying for those who are dying. They are praying for those who have just died. They are praying for those who are going through the Thai houses. And they are praying for those in Hades, as I will read further on. That's why it's important, as St John Christum says, where there are orthodox monasteries, the hospitals are empty, the jails are empty, and the mental institutions are empty. Where there are no monasteries, it's full. They, they, because the monasteries is what prays. Yes, parishes, etc., but nothing like the monasteries. Monasteries, the monks and nuns pray continually. 
And that's why when communism came to Russia, the first thing they wanted to hit was the monasteries. The demons hate the monasteries, and remember that. Support the monasteries. No matter which way I turned to escape their faces and voices, I could not rid myself of them. They were numberless and there was no one to help me. When I was at the end of my strength and in despair, suddenly I saw two radiant angels of God approaching me. This is basically every account of death has two angels coming to the person. They were like youths of inexpressible beauty. Their faces shone brightly, their eyes were full of love, their hair was white as snow but glowed with a golden tinge, their garments flashed like lightning and they wore golden belts over their chest. When they came near me, they stood on the right side of my bed and whispered one to another. When I saw them, my heart rejoiced. So when an Orthodox Christian dies, God sends the two angels to assist the person. Of course, how much the angels can help depends on our life. The black demons trembled and moved back some distance as soon as they saw the angels. One of the radiant youths angrily addressed the black ones and said, O shameless, cursed, dark and evil enemies of the human race, why do you always rush to be first to the dying? They have this mania, the demons, to be first before the angels come, so as to scare the person, make them fall into hopelessness and make them die hopeless. Why do you frighten and confuse every person that's dying by your horrible words? You have no reason to rejoice, for this woman is not yours. God's mercy is with her, and you have no claim on her soul. As the angel spoke, the demons first became disturbed, in other words, they became confused, and then began to cry out and recite and to mention all the evil deeds I had committed since I was a girl. They protested, she said, by saying, if we have no claim to her, then whose sins are these? And they showed the list and said, did she not do such and such? So this is the way it is. By the way, as I said, this warfare at the time of death and this warfare after death is what happens to Orthodox Christians during their life because the demons come and tell us in our minds and say, you did this, God won't forgive you. You did that abortion, God won't forgive you. You did this and did this and did this, God won't forgive you. We have to become experienced to reject these, these, um, these horrible techniques that they use. We need to experience that while we're alive. And how do we do that? Through spiritual struggle. All Orthodox Christians who are struggling will go through those temptations. And therefore, in a way, it's better that that happens to us while we are strong, while we are healthy, and while we are living, because at the time of our death, sometimes we're out of it. So it's going to be a bit difficult. However, we have to learn to reject and not be like Judas who fell into hopelessness because he betrayed Christ and he hanged himself. Let us be more experienced in spiritual life like Peter, but then he was experienced enough to say, 
that God is merciful, compassionate, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy. So the more we, we, we struggle in this life, the easier it is in the next life. So that's important to know. The demons had only a short time to wait before I breathed my last. Death came roaring like a lion, but in the form of a horrifying human skeleton. Death was carrying various instruments of torture, such as swords, arrows, spears, saws, as well as other instruments of torture unknown to me. When I saw these, my lowly and trembled, uh, my soul trembled with fear. The holy angel said to death, Why do you wait? Free this soul from the bonds of the body. Now, some of you might ask, what's this skeletons and, 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 and um, tools, etc.? I'm not going to spend time on that now. I'm going to do it next month about the, the images that are seen, etc. That will all be explained next. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to keep to the story um, and we'll talk about that in the next talk, God willing. Do you, uh, so the angel said, why do you wait? Free this soul from the bonds of the body. Do your work quickly and quietly because her sins are light. Death stepped up to me, took a small axe and separated my legs, then my arms, then with its other instruments, it weakened all the rest of my limbs. In other words, when it says cut it off, etc., it's obviously she's feeling that she's no longer feeling her body. Because you don't see dead bodies you know, with no arms and legs. It's a spiritual thing. Separating them joint by joint, I lost the use of my arms and legs. My whole body grew dumb and I felt lifeless and I was unable to move. Finally, death cut off my head and I could no longer move it. Lastly, death dissolved in a cup, some kind of mixture and forced me to drink it. The potion was so bitter that my soul was unable to endure it. My soul trembled and left my body. As I said, more on the imagery used in the next talk. Let's leave it at that. So, the light-bearing angels immediately took my soul in their arms. When I looked back, I saw my body without feeling and lifeless. Now that we know, because even in people that have died and come back after a while, people that have been on, that's in talk one, I discussed all that, people that have died, and that's why doctors began to believe in these things more, is because the person died and then was resuscitated and then the person described to the doctors what they were doing, etc., what was going on in other rooms in the hospital, and from that they began to understand that, yes, that there's a soul, like we've known it for 2,000 years, but they just came to enlightenment, that there's a soul. So when I look back, I saw my... And that's what they say. They say that they saw their body on the operating table, etc., etc. I was astonished to be looking at my own corpse. Meanwhile, although the holy angels were holding me, the demons surrounded us and shrieked, this soul has a multitude of sins, let her answer for them. They don't stop. Their, ma their mania, as we say in Greek, their mania is the sins. As the devils shouted my sins, the holy angels listed all the good deeds that I had done by God's grace and with his help. The angels mentioned every good deed that I did, every occasion when I gave alms to the poor, when I fed the hungry, clothed the naked, sheltered strangers and the homeless, served holy men and women, visited the sick, visited the imprisoned and gave them assistance. And by, by the way, doesn't that sound exactly like the, the gospel reading of the last judgment? 
Now, this is really a wonderful list because in the last talk, if you remember, I talked about what's called a balanced spiritual life. See, like vitamins. If you take too many of some vitamins, synthetic vitamins, the, the, um, not the natural ones from food, you can get sick. And that's what we say, a balanced diet. That's the same as spiritual life, a balanced spiritual life, not too much of one, not too less of another. We'll do all of Christ's commandments. Try to fulfill all of Christ's commandments. Remember what Christ said as he was going to ascend into heaven and he said, uh, go and teach the nations, teaching them everything that I taught you and baptising them in the name of the Father. He didn't say teaching them some parts of what I taught you, teach them how to fast until they drop dead or teach them just how to pray or teach them just to do other parts, but teach them everything that I taught. So, the angels also mentioned all the times I went with diligence to God's house, so even that's recorded, prayed with all my heart and shed tears, that's recorded. See, all these are good deeds. When I attentively listened to what was read and sung in church, when I brought incense to church, donated incense, candles or something else, like uh, olive oil for the oil lamps, which illumined the holy icons. They had recorded all the times I kissed the icons with awe and reverence, not mechanically. Someone said to me today, what was it? Yes, Helen. Yes, the other day, um, that she said that she read something which shocked her and I said, that's going to be in the talk. Say, what did you read again? That the saint, some saint said that even... Forgive you, uh, that, that, that's coming up as well. So we don't even know what good deeds are. That's why these, see, by reading the, these, this account, we're already learning that good deeds are even things that we might not even think as good deeds. Fixing up the icon, putting flowers nicely with respect, that's a good deed. Lighting a candle in front of the icon is considered a good deed. All these things are written. They spoke of all the times I fasted, Wednesdays and Fridays and the other fasts, all the times when I prostrated myself before God and spent nights awake in prayer, when I sighed to God and wept for my sins. Even just a, oh, just a little sigh. All that's recorded. Sometimes we don't even think. Sometimes we think that we want to go and pray and have some delusion there that we're praying and etc. etc. But sometimes we can even be going to work or even in the car or going in the train, etc. And all of a sudden we have a feeling about ourselves and go, we might think about our sins and then let our sigh and go, oh, you know, how sinful I am. Just a little pain. That's worth more than a pharisaical prayer. And all that's recorded. They had written, when I confessed my sins before my spiritual father with great heartfelt regret and attempted to correct my faults. I like that. And attempted to correct my faults. We don't, because people go to confession and say, I did this, this and this and this. Read the prayer and walk off. But there's no struggle. Good spiritual fathers try to determine whether the person is struggling. If the person's not struggling, 
they don't let them commune until there's some struggle. That's, that, that's a big problem today. Today, it's like anyone who confesses communes. And, and it says here that we've written uh, an effort uh, that, I, that I attempt to correct my faults and made an effort with all my strength to balance my sins with good deeds. Continues on the, the, the good deeds list. When I did anything good to my neighbour, that might even be to um, a, a Protestant or a, a Catholic next door or a Jewish person or a Muslim, doesn't matter. Something good. A good deed could be that they went on holidays. You just go and water their garden a bit. When I attempted to restrain my anger when someone reproached or criticised me. That's a good one too, see? When someone tells us our faults, when someone criticises us, we like to lash out and tell them off. But it's a good deed when we restrain. No, don't say anything. When I refuse to harbour malice or return evil for evil, that revenge that we've got, that person done something to me, I'll get back at them. When I humbled myself, all the times that I humbled myself, when a wife fights with the husband or the husband fights with the wife, you know, forgive me. That's a good deed. Unfortunately, no one hardly says forgive me anymore. And um, they might say, I apologise. Like the secular word, I apologise. Now, forgive me for being horrible, for being, I didn't think properly. Forgive me for being rude to you, forgive me for not thinking properly, etc. You know, open up, I just say, I apologise. That we do at work, because you don't go up to the person at work and go, forgive me and do a prostration, right? So you can call the psychiatric hospital. <laughs> obviously, they, you just say, oh yes, I apologise for that, I'm sorry about that, admit your fault and that's it. You don't have to do three kisses and all that type of stuff, it's not, you know, let's leave that to the Orthodox uh, Christians who we can't even do to them anyway. When I humbled myself, when I, gr when I felt grief and mourned for those suffering and consoled them, not when we have pleasure when someone's suffering, but when we really feel pain and mourn that someone is uh, suffering and we try to console them, when I comforted those who were weeping and rendered them assistance, when I encouraged those who were doing good, when I made attempts to turn people away from what was bad, when I turned my eyes away from vanity, you know what vanity means? Like, oh, I'd like to have a big house or I want to have nice clothes, etc., etc. Vanity. You know, fix my hair up, wear makeup and all these type of things. This is what's called vanity. Uh, kept myself from lying, even... When we feel like lying but we don't, that's a good deed because we've actually stopped. Slandering or speaking without need and the holy angels gathered all of my good deeds, even the least important ones, and prepared them in order to balance my evil deeds. The demons, however, saw this and gnashed their teeth at me. They wanted to tear me instantly from the angels' arms and to drag me down to the bottom of Hades. At this time, holy Basil himself appeared unexpectedly now, Obviously, St. Basil's still alive, so how he was there at this time, you know, this is a mystery which is um, known to God. 
uh, was he in his body, was he with his soul? And even St. Paul says that he went to heaven. I wasn't sure if I was in my body or out of my body. So if he doesn't know, well, let's not speculate. So at, that's, at this time, Holy Basil himself appeared unexpectedly and said to the holy angels, holy angels, this soul, in other words, this woman, conscientiously served me, is in the burden of my old age, and therefore I prayed for her to God, and God has granted me her soul. Having said this, he took something out that appeared like a bag of gold and gave it to the angels with the words, here is the treasures the treasure of prayers before the Lord for this soul. Whose prayers? His prayers. His, and, we can, and we ask, does that include his prayers only? I, I, I don't think he was a priest, I think he was just a monk. But I say it also includes the liturgies, etc., that he obviously commemorated, got to be commemorated. When you pass through the aerial toll houses, he said to the angels, and the evil spirits begin to torment her, to interrogate her, in other words. That's what it means by torment, interrogate. You did this, you did that, etc. Pay her debts with this. Then Holy Basil disappeared, but the evil spirits, when they saw the gift Holy Basil gave for my soul, at first stood dumbfounded. They were taken aback, as we say, like they were upset, shocked. Prayers. They don't like prayers being uh, prayers being done for souls. How they jump for joy when someone dies and their family is so thick, so much away from God that they don't even call a priest, don't even get liturgies, and they might go and do a little memorial prayer at the at the church for the third day and the ninth day and the fortieth day, etc. Maybe at the year, and even that's something but don't know the full how to help. That's what we're here to hear, how to help the souls of those of our people that have departed and how to help our own soul. That's the purpose of the talk. That's a good deed too, because you're here. And if you, and, and, and if you last all the hours, it's even a greater deed. Then the demons lamented and cried out and became invisible. Shortly afterwards, Basil, God's favourite, returned, carrying many vessels of pure oil and precious myrrh. All these, one after the other, he poured on me so that I became spiritually fragrant. I sensed the change within me and felt that I was glowing with light. Wonderful description. What's this? Myrrh and oil, etc., being poured on her soul. Obviously it means, and it says that she felt, she felt, change within her and she thought that her soul became like light or shone with light what was that that's the prayers of the church the prayers of him the good deeds done for her soul etc that's how a soul uh, responds how her soul gets helped then the holy basil again became invisible the holy angels took me up and we went eastward through the air towards the east through the air Okay, we'll come back and we'll do the first toll house, etc. Before we end, are there any questions on what we've done so far? Does that mean that you understand? Does it mean that you're in fear? What does it mean? Yes? I've seen some people dying. That's a doctor. Yeah, mm -hmm. and most of them actually were scared. 
and no one knew how to explain it. But people were very uncomfortable. Well, these are non-orthodox or orthodox? It could be a mixture. The fathers teach that the fear of death and the torment that the person goes through before death is actually a positive because it helps the, to lessen their uh, punishment in the next life. And that's why I did in talk number two, I think, violent deaths. So sometimes we say, oh, look at that person that had a violent death, that they were, you know, ripped apart by five dogs or something, they had a really horrible death. And people say that's really horrible, but in God's eyes, that person can be cleansed of so many sins. So violent deaths is, is an expression of God's mercy. A lot of those people that died on battlefields, blown up, etc., a lot of that is an expression of God's mercy. Now, you, we might say, oh, that's cruel, you know, God is cruel. But it's the same as a child. When a child does something wrong, we punish it, whether we punish it sometimes with physical or we punish it even by putting it into, into the room or whatever. And those children say that in themselves, they think that their parents are horrible people. But only when they grow up, they understand, oh, what my parents did was correct. And that's the same as those people who we say, look how cruel God is and look what he did and how that person was mangulated and that person had his head cut off and that person this, that person that. But like the child who grows up and says, what my parent did was correct, the same as those people, if they make it to heaven as a result of that, they say, I'm glad that God did that. I'm glad that he allowed that to happen to me because now... I am, I am in heaven forever. So that's number one. Number two, those people who are orthodox, you can uh, get commemorations for them if they're orthodox Christians, or you can commemorate them yourself at the service. If they are non-orthodox Christians, that's a, that's a problem, a person has still a right to pray for their soul. And the way you pray is to say, Lord Jesus Christ, if it be your will, may, you, may your mercy be done. Whatever is your will, you do. You can pray for that person. You can pray to the mother of God, etc. How, how, it, how it helps them, that's not for us to know. But it does help. How, we don't know. So, if we, um, uh, you know, that, that's, therefore we can pray for anyone. Whether Jew, Muslim, doesn't matter. Whoever we want. If we feel for that person, we can pray. Any other questions? Sorry, yes, and then you. you don't mind about some people that have very, very strong dying process, if I can say. Like, they go for... Someone's making noise, just wait. Mm -hmm. So, Continue. some people seem to be dying, like, for days or maybe one or two weeks, and then some people die quickly. And then if people are dying for days or maybe when I've seen, I think, a week or ten days or something like that, and then the family becomes unsettled and doctors want to do something, is it better to let them, just nature takes it, I don't know whether you can answer that question, the nature takes it talk, or maybe try to medicate them or do something? When they the whole problem in the medical field now is that uh, they all talk about to die with dignity. That's the magic words now. I mean, dying with dignity and you're still dead. You see what I mean? So their, their words are empty. Their words are worthless, dying with dignity. And that's going to be the, the, uh, the argument for euthanasia. 
that they die with dignity because the saliva and they can't breathe. Like my mother, my mother didn't die, as we say, in dignity because she died from motor neurone disease. And you know about motor neurone disease. And those of you who um, don't know, basically the person becomes paralysed in every part of their body. The only thing that they can move at the end is their eyes. That's it. They're totally paralysed. And at the end, they can't swallow. And the last thing to give way is their lungs. So they, they actually suffocate. That is... Uh, in, for them, they say, oh, that's not dying with dignity. But thanks God that she was not medicated. And another thing about motor neuron compared to other diseases is that the, the person with motor neuron disease has their mind 100%. They know exactly what's happening to them, so it's actually quite fearful and shocking. However, um, in her case, uh, prayers. Prayer. Sometimes she was disturbed, I could tell. Sometimes she was even dark because I think she was... Um, well, she couldn't speak. But I believe that she was scared at times. Sometimes she was um, anxious and all that, but no, no medication because what they do today is they just drug the person so they doesn't even know that they're dying. And that's not good. And, uh, but with prayers, other times she was bright. She received prayers before, received prayers after, etc., etc. So their definition of dignity is nothing but trash. Obviously, if a person's in pain, we have to alleviate the pain to some degree. But what they do in hospitals, they give the person high dosages of morphine. So um, we ask God, we pray to God and say, grant me a Christian ending and that we pray to die conscious. Okay, There's going to be some painkillers, obviously, at times, but not to be completely out of it so that the person doesn't even know that they're dying, to be able to even say, just at their death, to say, Lord, remember me in thy kingdom like the thief on the cross, and to die. How can he say that when he's drugged out of it and then he dies, you see? It doesn't mean that, the, that some people died like that. I'm not saying that it's, um, you know, they don't start to say, oh, my, my father died like that. Anyway. In general, that's the best way. And Mark? Um, the judgment of Christ, is it, does it take place after the Tom Houses or is that after? There are two judgments. One is called the partial judgment, which is what we're talking about today, which is the Tom Houses, where the person goes and experiences heaven or hell, experiences it to some degree. However, there's still room for that person to be taken from Hades out. But the last judgment is when it's all finished. That's the second judgment when Christ comes. So there's two judgments. The one that we're talking about today, it's called the partial judgment, and the one at the end of the world, which will be called the last judgment. Okay, and there's one more person, Boris. It's uh, amazing how, how much we don't know about the There was a case just last year where our priest gave to me a fortunate or fortunate a small booklet to an old lady to prepare her for communion, confession, among the other things. There was this 
leaflet. Leaflet about the Torah. Mm -hmm. And next thing, her daughter, who is a Roman journalist, got upstairs. Up, threatening me that she's going to call the police to arrest me and the priest for terrorizing her mother. Terrorizing her mother. I said, for God's sake, you don't know what you're talking about. This is not written by the priest. It's written by so many saints in the past. So it's just experience and putting a little That's a good example, one, to be very careful because even Father Seraphim Rose, he says, like, when a, when a priest goes to a person that's dying, they're already going for the prayer. And if they're not church people, um, it's sometimes wise not to mention those things to the person. Just try and help the person, but not to mention because you can terrorise them because they're not got any idea about it. Now, that person that you're talking about and others, in a way, without being rude, to say that the person didn't prepare herself. And then at the end, access to her was from her unbelieving daughter who was going to obstruct all the access. That's why we say that we need to be ready and for her, if she had led a spiritual life in the first place, would have told her daughter, at my death I want access to the priest, I want this, I want that, etc., etc. And that's what happens to people, that people have nothing to do with the church, then they die, and then their unbelieving children and family left behind do nothing for their souls at all and the person goes but then you have to say whose fault's that i blame the person themselves who didn't do anything about their soul and waited till they were going to die and then hoping that their children are going to do something which they don't well, this person was teaching scriptures for 25 years who the girl the the the, the, the daughter or the mother Yes, once I was at a church, last, my last story, once I was at a church and I was, uh, and I was pre preparing and there was a woman there, an old woman who used, to serve, who used to come to fix up the flowers. And she was a devoted Orthodox Christian that was going to church and was always going to the church and fixing the flowers up for many years. And she mentioned to me that her husband departed. And I said to her, oh, well, I said, um... Soon, you know, when your time comes, you will join to him as well. I, um, you join. And she goes, do you think so? Do you think that he's... In other words, she was saying to me, do you think that there is a life after? And I was, uh, you know, a bit shocked with that. So it doesn't matter. There are chanters and there are matushkas, as we say, priest's wife. There was one in Greece who... Her family had a lot of problems and she went to a magician and then she, she, that same woman, I remember when I spoke to her, I wasn't a priest then, a lay person, and I saw something I said to her about God or something. She said to me, uh, I don't believe those things. So um, it doesn't matter because someone's a chanter or a person serves in the altar or someone teaches scripture, etc. It doesn't mean that because they're doing that that they believe. A lot of times they don't believe anything. The, the chanter could be ch chant every day, uh, save our Lord and, and, and save our souls, etc. And Lord have mercy. Saying Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Or chanting completely for 20, 30 years and has no idea that Lord have mercy means 
that we are asking God's mercy because we deserve to go to hell, but we're asking God's mercy to save us. That I haven't got an idea. So that doesn't... Uh, what we need to do as the fathers say, save yourself. And as Father Ser- Ser- as Saint Seraphim says of Seraph, save yourself and thousands will be saved around you. A lot of these people leave behind people who don't believe, they don't take care of their souls, and in a way, without being rude to say, do they deserve it because they did nothing for their souls? So I just leave, you know, when the people say, oh, I'm going to, you know, do this or I'm going to, I don't want my mother to, um, I don't want a priest. They actually say, a lot of Greeks do this, I don't know if Russians do it and the rest of you, they're the others, Serbs and I, they say, I don't want the priest to go to my dying mother or my dying father or dying husband, etc., because they'll get scared. Okay, have your sandwiches. Okay. As we were rising from the earth to the heights of heaven, we were met by the aerial spirits of the first toll house. Here the souls are tormented, or interrogated, say, regarding the sins of speech. Such sins include speaking without thinking, which we all do, don't we? Idle talking, yap, 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 quarrelling, blasphemy, and using inappropriate or filthy language, we stopped and the demons presented a number of scrolls, like lists, you know, scrolls. So then I saw written everything I had said since my youth. My empty words, angry words, filthy words, the shameless worldly songs I sang, and then I put in brackets my own, not that Theodora said this, and how about the songs that we listened to, which are inappropriate. So let's go on and also was written wild, the wild cries that I did and outbursts of laughter. And some people say does that mean we can't laugh? It doesn't say that. It says here wild cries. Shrieking in other words like being silly and outbursts of laughter. The evil spirits accused me of all this and indicated when, where and with whom I had held conversations that were vain, spoke words that angered God, even though at the time I did not consider such things sinful. Uh, Some people, when they come to the church, they've got this attitude that you're not allowed to smile, not allowed to laugh. So you see people that are new in the church or maybe been been a few years and their faces are like they're ready to crack from the stiffness. And they believe that, you know, because they read that St Lazarus, who died for four days and he rose from the dead, he went to the other life, came back, and after that he never, ever smiled or laughed except when he saw a person stealing some, a pot and he smiled and he said, clay, st- stealing clay, like a person's made out of clay and then he's stealing clay. And that was that. Christ did not laugh. So people see there's a couple of examples go, that's how we should be. I've been to Manathos, I've been, I've seen many, many holy people. And I tell you one thing, 
they smile, and sometimes they have a, a laugh. Once someone came, uh, once someone went to into the desert to visit Saint Anthony, the Great, and he came across where Saint Anthony was with some monks, and he was kind of playing with them, like telling them things, and they were smiling, laughing a bit, and things like that. And the person, probably with a stiff face, went up to him and said, kind of was scandalised, sorry, was scandalised and goes, oh, saint, and he's laughing, or whatever. And Saint Anthony said to him, get a bow and and, and pull it. Pull the bow, pull the bow, because keep on doing it more and more, and the guy goes, if I do it anymore, it will break. He says, that's how some people are. If you give too many restrictions, you can break them. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, he had this practice where he would go sometimes around the church while people were doing the were praying during the church services, and he would go up and whisper something in their ear to to kind of make a, make a little bit of a light joke or something to lighten them to help them. And I remember another uh, priest monk from Corfu that I used to go and visit a lot, and he would come around to the people because what happens is sometimes when you're in the services you can become a bit tired, fatigued, you can just, you know, um, it's like here where some of you are here for hours and then you can become tired and fatigued. So I say a little bit of a thing, brighten up the moment, etc. We don't want to go home with no faces because they crack, do we? So uh, a little bit of a thing like that. But what's sinful is when it's really boisterous laughing and carrying on and things like that. Uh, even though we fall into those things at times, we repent, ask God for forgiveness and carry on with life. So, the evil spirits accuse me uh, of all this and indicated when, where and with whom I did these things. And Theodora saying, I didn't even think that the things that they were telling me I did were even sins. This is ignorance. See, well, a lot of times we don't even know that we're sinning. We, 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 we sin all the time. And that's why, we, that's why we, in our prayers, repent. And we say, for all the sins that I know and the sins that I don't know, Voluntary and involuntary. When we commune, we ask, the, the, the priest said, the servant of God partakes of the body and blood unto forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. We receive forgiveness of sins through communion. We receive forgiveness of sins through the hot, when we drink holy water. We receive forgiveness of sins when we pray. We forgive forgiveness of sins when we... Um, even suffer, St John Christum says. So people have this thing, no, forgiveness of sins only in confession. That's Catholic, that's a papal thing. So let's see the Pope says, you come to me for forgiveness, I hold the keys because I'm Christ's representative on earth. So I am the only one that can give forgiveness. But in the Orthodox Church that, yes, we go to confession... But an uh, Orthodox Christian who's struggling uh, receives forgiveness for his everyday sins, the smaller sins, etc., that we do all the time. That, that, and then 
I, I, I would say to people, and they go, oh, no, no, that's, that's not right. You have to confess. But even if you confess the night before to commune the next day, you've already committed another 1,000, 5,000 sins. So what do you do then? Some people would like if they could confess on the side and as soon as they confess to run, to commune. Even though it might take them five seconds to run to the chalice to commune, they've already sinned in those five seconds. So that's why we, St John of Cronstein says that we have to learn to ask God for forgiveness every day. Those who believe that, that only in confession that we receive forgiveness of sins miss out on experiencing God's forgiveness. And if you read St John of Cronstein carefully, you'll see there what he says. He goes that we, 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 we confess our sins. Now some people go, oh, that's Protestant. If it was... Um, if someone, can, if someone believes like that, then they have to explain to me what is meant by uh, when, we, when the priest blesses the holy water and he blesses and he says, may this water be for the forgiveness of our sins. When we receive unction, it says for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we receive holy communion, it's for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's not get confused. Of course, we confess... Um, uh, for our for our sins, especially uh, the the the, the um, serious ones, but those who believe that un unless you're in a monastery, that you need to go to confession continually, every time you do some small sins and things like that, they're outside of the reality of the church. And remember as well that those who confess daily at monasteries, which is very exceptional, some monasteries they're really revealing their thoughts more. That's a different thing. Christians don't have that opportunity in the world to go to a priest every night and go and say, my, and say their thoughts. That's a separate issue. So we need to experience God's forgiveness every day. And if we don't, we're missing out. And we carry all these sins and go, I have to go to confession in two or three weeks. So meanwhile, we're carrying all when we should be asking God for forgiveness of our everyday sins. Voluntary and involuntary, known and unknown, etc., etc., and especially the sins of the of speech is one of the sins which is um, which we do all the time. And as she, and as she said, Theodora said, I didn't even know that they were sins. A lot of the things that they had written, I didn't. I never paid attention to these sins, and therefore I never confessed them to my spiritual father, and never repented. Now I kept silent as if I had lost my voice. I was unable to reply because I knew what the evil spirits were saying was true. It was amazing how they remembered everything. Despite the fact that I had committed them so many years ago, I had long since forgotten these sins, but they never came to mind. Uh, but the demons quoted my every word as though I had just said it. They knew every detail with perfect accuracy. Seeing me silent, ashamed and trembling with fear, the holy angels offered some of my good deeds and since these weren't enough, they added something from the treasure given me by the holy man Basil and thus they paid my debts at this toll house. We then proceeded higher. Now some of you might say, oh, they're recording all the sins and oh, this is a hopeless situation. 
Well, that's two things we can learn. One, to be careful with our mouths. And number two, to remember that just as they record all the bad things that we do, that the angels record all the good things that we do. And as we saw here, that uh, some of her good deeds were used as a payment as well as the prayers of Basil and the prayers of the church, etc. So uh, St. James says in his epistle, but no man can tame the tongue. The tongue is like a wild animal, he's saying. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, says St. James, these things ought not to be so. So when St. James is saying this, he's speaking about himself as well. All the saints knew that the tongue is powerful and very difficult to control. So we must not get into despair and say, I've sinned again and again. We sin get up, ask God for forgiveness and then you go to confession, you can mention in general, yes I've done this, this, this this and this but we must repent every day for our sins the next we approach the toll house of lying where an account must be given for failure to keep oaths that's promises, vain use of God's name, failure to keep vows given to God Insincy or false confession of sins, perjury, and similar sins. The evil spirits of this toll house are violent and ruthless, demanding and insolent. They stopped us and began to question us closely. Okay, so lying is another sin. This is number two now. Is there anyone here who's never lied? Okay. Yes, you haven't lied before? No. No. <laughs> you know the saints, even when they lied and they and they were made to lie, for example, Saint Vinicius of Zakynthos when they came to uh, find the murder of his brother and he lied to the police the police said have you seen have you seen such and such and he already knew that that person killed his brother but the, but the murderer didn't know that that was his brother that he killed and Saint the news of Zakynthos said uh, no I haven't seen him so he lied but you know even when the saints did lie even for good reasons which we call like a white lie they still felt guilty because every false word we say is still, in a way, a sin. So they felt guilty uh, at, 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 uh, even when they had to do it for good reasons. So we say, as the saints say, when you have to choose between two evils, choose the lesser one. So we sometimes are confronted with a, with a situation which we have to go that way, which is a sin, or we have to do that, and that's a sin. And then the saints say, choose the lesser uh, we have to learn not to lie as much as possible, make an effort. So when 
Someone, you know how sometimes people might ring up and they might be after your husband and then your husband says, no, tell him I'm not there and you go, he's not here. You've got to try and work out ways of, you know, not... Because we tend to just lie automatically because that's how we were learnt, that's how we learned from young, especially if, if our parents were the same. So, especially like, you know, little kids, they hear their parents on the phone uh, lying. You see, they might say... Um, um, they might, someone might say, um, you know, is your husband home today? And then, and then the little children listen and they hear the mother say, no, he's not, when they know that he's in the other room. So the children begin, they're actually teaching the children to lie. So what we have to do is we've got to be careful when doing it in front of children because that's a big sin. And we have to learn just to be truthful or work out ways of getting around things without lying. That's what we've got to do. And when we slip and we sit and we, and we do fall, then we just have to repent and say, I did it again, I, I've got to learn. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a sin which we all do and we have to, you know, be careful and say, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to say it in a different way. And sometimes you just got to be truthful and you might have to say to him, he's not available. That's it. Things like that. Sometimes not to upset someone, we bring sins on ourselves when a lot of times the person, there's nothing wrong with the, saying to the person he's not available. I was... Um, at work, sometimes uh, you're putting that position, especially if you're a secretary, looking at someone where the boss says... Oh, you're a secretary and the boss says, tell them I'm not, a, I'm not there, for example. And therefore you, you're doing what they're telling, they're telling, but that's not really, in a way, your sin because you're only being told. But at the same time, still, falsehood is falsehood. A person who's sensitive will feel yucky about it. So what you do is you repent and say, God, forgive me that I had to do that, etc. You know, but it doesn't mean that we're going to fall apart. We just, that's it. We, these things are, uh, are common things. I was accused of two things only. First, that I occasionally lied in matters of small importance, something that I did not even consider sinful. So that's what I'm saying. And second, that out of shame... I did not mention certain sins and also insincerely confessed to my spiritual father. So he, she says it herself. She says that there were times that I lied with such a small thing that I never even thought it was a sin and yet they had written that down. And as well, which is, the, which is a really bad sin, that I in, she says that she insincerely confessed to her spiritual father. Insincerely means didn't say everything or didn't say it properly. By the grace of God, the demons had no evidence that I was guilty of oath-breaking, like she made a promise and she didn't do it, bearing false witness, like going to court and lying, or other similar sins. Nonetheless, they mocked me and tried to snatch me from my guides, but the holy angels put down for my sins some of my good deeds and covered the rest of my debt from the gift, that is the prayers in other words, of my spiritual father Basil. We went on without harm. Number three, then we reached the toll house, the third one, that of judging, speaking evil of others, in other words, and slander, when we spread rumours about people that aren't true. When we were stopped here, I learned how serious a sin is to judge one's neighbour, to slander, humiliate and put them down, insult them, make fun of others, to ridicule at the, the, the shortcomings of another while ignoring one's own sins and weaknesses. 
when the saints write hymns, prayers, etc., and they say, the wretch that I am and, you know, um, I deserve hell and I'm so bad, etc., what they're writing about are these sins. They're talking about the sins with their speech. They're speaking about these lies, little lies here and there. And they're speaking about things like judging. Even if you don't say it, we, we think judge, we, we judge. Oh, look what he's doing and this and that, or whatever. And it's all the time. The more sensitive we become in our spiritual life, the more we feel it. And some people say, oh, I feel so overwhelmed. It's just so strong in me that I'm judging continually. I said, that's good. He goes, why is it good if I'm judging? I said, it's good because you see it. Some people are so corrupt in their minds, they're judging continually, and when you say to them, do you judge? They go, no, I don't, I don't judge. They don't even see that they're judging. So isn't that tragic? I think I prefer the person who knows that they're judging and starts to work on it and repents about it. So... So it's bad to look at someone's faults, etc., while ignoring one's own sins and weaknesses. Such sinners are regarded as antichrists, or antichrists, Americans say, since even before Christ has judged their neighbours, they already allow themselves the right of judgment. So the fathers of the church consider or regard those who judge as antichrists. Because only God has, is in the position to judge. Now, what do we mean by judge? Remember I said there's two. There's judgment. And then there's criticism. Criticism is when you say, for example, I don't like the way that person did that. I don't like the way he's bringing up his children in that aspect. Or I don't like the way that, you know, that's criticism. Sinful, but not the same as judging. Judging is like the one who was in the temple, the Pharisee who judged the tax collector, and he said, um, I'm not like him, and, and just disregarded him and thought, oh, you know, that person's going to go to hell. That person deserves it. I'm better than that person. That's judging. That's really wicked. And the fathers say here that if we do that, then we're antichrists. Some people say, the antichrist, the antichrist, 666. And we'll worry about those things. I said, why worry about the antichrist? When we judge, we're antichrists. So we should look at ourselves and not worry too much about the, this, this uh, obsession with antichrists. Well, of course, we have to learn about those things and we will come about, turn about. But what's the point? I say to people, even if you know everything about the Antichrist, even if you've read every book about the Antichrist, if you aren't leading a spiritual life, forget it. The, you will be the first to worship the Antichrist. Whenever he comes, probably won't even be in our times, but let's just say, but whenever he comes, only the spiritually strong won't worship him. The rest who are weak will worship him. So therefore, if, we're not, if we don't know how to pray, if we don't know how to repent, if we don't know how, what Christ's commandments are, if we're not spiritually struggling, if we don't have the grace of God, then we will worship the Antichrist. So what's the point in knowing all about it? That's why Manathos, a lot of the fathers there, they don't like talking about those things. 
They're even reluctant about the ecumenism at times too. Why? Some people say, oh, they're not talking about ecumenism because they're betraying the faith. But that's not why they're not talking about it. A lot of times they don't talk about it because when they do, people become go silly and become fanatical and start judging and don't know what's going on and they can lose themselves. That's why I only speak about it a little bit. What's the point in me sitting here and talking about ecumenism if I've got a pe- a people in front of me, and I don't mean this in, in, in a rude way, who don't even know how to pray? Who don't know how to repent? Who don't know what the commandments of Christ are? Then how can I then speak about the ecumenism? Because once I speak about it in detail, then people begin to become, try to understand it, then they start to formulate thoughts about it, and then the demons come along, they've got no experience of demonic warfare, the demons come along and make their heads into what's called a Russian salad. You know what a Russian salad is? It's a salad that's got a hundred ingredients in it. So we say Roshiko Salata in Greek. So that's how people's brains become. They don't know what's from God, what's this, what's that. So the devil can say to them, you've got to go and tell off that priest. He's praying with the Catholics or something like that. Not knowing that, yes, maybe he, what he's doing is wrong, but well, what, what he's doing is wrong if he's praying. But is your zeal to go and tell that person off coming from God or is it coming from your passions? And if a person has no idea about pride and vainglory, if a person does not know what's happening within them, then they don't know what's going on and they think, oh, I'm going to, I'm, you know, they think that they're on a horse like St. George and they're going with their spear and saying orthodoxy. Or with a black flag. Some of them, some people like to have black flags. Orthodoxy or death. And they're running through the world and they're thinking that they're going to save orthodoxy but not knowing that the demons are laughing at them because they, the demons are allowing them to be zealous with one purpose. To f- bloat them up with pride, pride, pride until at the end, those same people who are fighting heresy become heretics. But enough of that. I think you've got the point now. So um, we will talk about ecumenism, but there's much more work to be done. But we touch on it here and there, obviously. We don't believe that the Catholic Church is a sister church. We don't believe that Coptics are part of the Orthodox Church and that the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake. We don't pray with Buddhists, we don't pray with Hindus, we don't pray with those people. doesn't mean we hate them, no. We have no religious contact. If next door there's a Buddhist, hello, how are you, etc. But in the Bible it says, whoever comes to you and doesn't believe that Christ is God, then you've got to say he's an antichrist and keep away. That's what it says in the epistle. Yes, it says that if they're coming to you to tell you that. So if the Buddhist next door comes to your house and says, no, 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 don't believe that Christ is God. You've got to believe in Buddha. You've got to get a statue and put some apples in front. You say, no, you're an an antichrist. No, antichrist, no, 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 no. Now, if a Muslim comes and says, I kill you because you are not, you have to believe that Muhammad is the true prophet, Obviously, you say, you are 
an antichrist. That's different to if a Muslim's there and you say good morning, good afternoon. See how we don't know, how we don't know the Bible interpretation? Read St. John Damascene, one of the greatest fathers of the Orthodox Church. He was second in charge in Damascus at the, to at the time when, the, when there was Arabs there, Muslims. He was second from the head um, person there. He was an Orthodox Christian. How come he was working with the Muslim there, the, um, the, the ruler? Why was he working with him? Isn't he going against the Bible? It says, whoever come, does, did his ruler believe that Christ is God? No, he didn't believe that Christ is God. But why did St. John work with him? Because he did not tell St. John to deny Christ. If he did that, he would say, no, I don't believe that what you believe, and then he would be tortured, whatever. That's a different thing. We get confused. So let's go on. Judging. Um, for they assume the role of Christ. All who make themselves judges of their neighbours deserve punishment 10,000 times worse than what they gave to others. In me, however, through the grace of Christ, they do not find many of these sins. Throughout my life, I was careful not to judge anyone never to spread falsehoods about people, never to laugh or mock anyone, and never to say bad words to anyone. If I heard someone else judging, slandering or mocking others, I usually paid no attention to it. However, at times I did agree to what was said in thought. So people are talking, go, oh, you know that person, he's done this, this, that, and she would be there and she goes, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, in her mind. Uh, or even in my carelessness, I even said, I add my word to what was being said. Yeah, that's true. Or, yeah, I noticed that too, whatever. At these times, I would catch myself and stop. Then I would reproach myself for having spoken at all. See? Notice the sin, repent, and resist. Try not to do it. But here I was held responsible for sins of judging and even for having the inclination to commit them. So she was responsible for sins of judging and slander, and even for having the inclination to do it, even just the desire to do it, even if she didn't actually say anything to anyone. He also, the angels freed me by means of the prayers of a holy man, Basil, and we continued to ascend. The fourth toll house now. We reach the next toll house, that of gluttony. Evil spirits immediately rushed out to meet us, for they hoped to find a victim. Their appearance was like... Uh, pleasure-loving gluttons and despicable drunkards. The demons attack, uh, sorry, acted like people who had stuffed themselves with food and drink and were drunk. Each demon kind of show, uh, each, they saw the demons according to the passion. So they walked around us like dogs and immediately showed their list of all the occasions when I had sinned by gluttony. Gluttony is when we obviously eat and drink too much. When I ate secretly, when, without need, when I ate in excess, you know, we, we, feel that we're, we feel that we're full and we have a bit more. And then our stomach hurts. When I rushed to breakfast like a pig without praying or making the sign of the cross. When I broke fasting days or fasting periods. When I ate before the church service was over. And I, I have to add here. Of course, those who are sick, those who have to take medication before they go to jail, that's a different thing. Some people have low, low blood sugar. Sometimes they have to eat some because they won't be able to uh, stay that many hours in church. Right? I don't, uh, the Greeks are into that. They, 
They know that they're sick. They go to church and pluck one. That's another one's dropping. There goes another one. There goes another one. Like, you know, like disturb the services. Have something in the morning and stop pestering the world. It's just that's silly, silly, silly things. Like you hear them, bump. Is that true? You hear them now? Especially during the fast times. Sorry? Easter, yeah, they, they're, they're, all, um, they're all there and they know they can't do it, but they still do it. Remember what the doctor said, the one that I, in the area that I live in, and he said to me, my best business is on orthodox fasting. I go, why? He goes, oh, they all come in, their stomachs are out of it, they're really, really sick. He says, that's my best time. So, uh, when I ate before the church was over, when I consumed too large a portion or ate gluttonously between meals... They did not, of course there are those who have to eat little things before meals, we all know that now, but we're talking about a person who just ate like a big steak and then an hour later they're having Kentucky Fry or something. They did not forget my sins of drunkenness either. They said, quote, this is what the demon said, she drank so many cups at such and such a party or banquet in the company of so and so at such and such a time. At another time and place, she drank so many cups of alcohol, threw up and lost consciousness. On still another occasion, she danced, clapped her hands, sang and loosely moved about, having consumed so many glasses of alcohol that she scarcely made it home. They also mentioned occasions when I got drunk on feasts on Sunday or Sundays before Holy Liturgy, never considering that I was sinning and never repenting. So this woman... Um, fell into these sins. Is she a nun or is this her past? Well, she's going to have a lot of trouble if she's a nun and doing that, but I think that she's, um, this is before, well, probably when she was younger. Having detailed all this, the demons already rejoiced as though I were already in their hands. It seemed certain that they would drag me into the depths of hell. See, the demons rejoiced because they had sins that she did and sins that she had not repented of. It seems certain that they would drag me into the depths of hell. I trembled at their accusations because they were impossible to contradict. She was speechless. She couldn't even answer to say, I didn't do it. She had no excuse. But the holy angels took out a large payment on my behalf from the gift given to me by the holy man Basil thereby balancing my sins with this and set me free. So, Maria, this woman had some very bad uh, vices. So one would say um, that they're serious. And yet she passed the toll house through the prayers of the church and her spiritual father, etc. So would you say that's hopeless? Or would you say that's hopeful for us? What do you think? Hopeful. Hopeful. How about you, Francis? What do you think? Yes, you... But, but there's a caveat. Sorry? There's a caveat to that. You can't say that you can do nothing. No. Uh, those who sin on purpose, etc., you know what happens? A lot of times God because of the, what they're doing, allows them to die unprepared. So we don't... St Nicodemus, in his book on confession, he actually says that one of the worst sins is to sin, saying, I'll sin now, 
in anticipation to repent later. And he said that a lot of times those people die unprepared. We're talking about here that um, this person had f fallen into a lot of these things and she never even thought that they were even sinful so, or maybe didn't even remember them. The point here is that, yes, what you're, what you're saying is correct, that we can't l read this and say, OK, I can do that now and depend on the, the church to free me, to pray for me. But as Boris already told us about his friend who wanted to, sorry, the, the mother of the daughter that wanted to take him and the priest to court because they gave her a pamphlet on the toll houses, we saw there that um, I don't think that daughter was going to organise much for her um, um, thing. There was a fellow that um, I heard about who he was horrible in the sense of just didn't believe. He said, oh, the church is bad and it's all for business. Just a, like a, a, a blasphemer, unbeliever, orthodox. And uh, he got sick and he started and he was going through his process of dying and he did allow the priest to come to him. What he said, how much he repented, I'm not sure. But all his life, that's what he believed. Does it mean that there's no repentance for someone like that? Of course there is, if the person sincerely repents. But, but those people for sure need a lot of work from those who are left behind. Now, after he died, the person, their children, uh, I think I had around three children, Two of them were out of it, didn't even know anything about church, didn't even worry about it. One person had a little bit of an understanding of church, organised for some prayers, asked for a 40-day liturgy, which was... Um, he heard about it. So he, he asked for 40 day, uh, liturgy, 40 days of liturgies. And he gave to the monastery... $50. Now you might say, what are you trying to say there, that he didn't give enough? Well, it depends on what he's got and it depends on how much he cares for his father. But let's go on with the story. At the same time that he gave the $50 to the monastery, he went and bought, he had a few children then, he went and bought for his children some, I don't know what it was, like a computer game or something like that, that was worth maybe about $1,000. So for his father, $50, but for himself and for his children, whatever, it was a thousand bucks. So I would say should have been the opposite. Should have been a thousand for his father, for the which is what's 40, 40 days of service, as you'll notice as, as you go on, 40 days of liturgies is the most powerful help you can give a soul. It takes people out of hell. And for him, for his father, it was worth $50. So as I say, um, you can't be complacent because you don't know who's going to leave behind to pray for you. So, uh, uh, And as you can see from this example, from the example of what Boris is, and the example of this person, this happened many years ago, the other person, but... I've seen it time and time again. 
people are left behind who do nothing hardly for the souls of their parents and their parents that happened to the parents because they taught their children nothing and they did nothing for their souls themselves. I had a relative in Greece who she was um, obsessed with money. So her, her god, I think, was the money. Before the god was called drachma, but then when the euro came in, then her god changed names and became the euro. So that was her god. It had a change of name during the, during the time of her life. And her, that was her life, was the, was the money. And she died. I'm her nephew. Didn't even know. Nothing at all. Time went on and on and on and on. And I found out about nine months or one year later when I rang up one day or something, they go, oh, you know, your auntie died. And I said, I can't believe it. I said I could have done 40-day liturgies. We could have done departure of the soul, memorial press. What happened? That's how she taught her children. Children didn't even bother to even organise with anyone. And that's what, she, that, that's what happened to her. Now, my uncle died. And his wife said to her son, ring up Australia to, to tell me that he died. So... I said, so the person rings up and says, my father died. I said, okay, that's, thanks for telling me that. When did he die? Because usually they might take a few days to get to you, might have been. Sometimes it's, you know, a few days because they're out of it and they say, oh, I didn't, you know, I was out of it. And um, so sometimes it might be a week or two weeks. In, that, in the other case, they didn't even tell anything at all. So that went nine months, one year. So I just had of interest, I said to the person, so when did he die? How many days ago did he die? He just died a few minutes ago. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. So when, you, when there's something there, how God arranges. And the same with my cousin. When she died, she was about 50 years old, cancer, um, her brother ring, rang, rang up and said, oh, my sister died. I go, when did she die? She goes, today. So then we started the services. Departure of the soul, memorial prayers, and uh, liturgies, etc. While the other auntie, we didn't even, we weren't, we weren't even able, I mean, of course we commemorate it now, but she, the most important time is the 40 days. She didn't get, I don't think she got anything. Or maybe they did those, um, Panahita services, the, the Mnemosima on the 9th or 3rd or 40th, something like that, which is a something, but the most important is liturgies. I was, I was actually shocked, but I go, well, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is money, well, that's what's in your heart, those people don't hardly get anything at all. So do you understand now, Boris, the, 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 the um, predicament?
I feel sorry for those people and I say to myself, fancy leaving children like that behind. Just sh like, like don't even know anything to help their parents or their loved ones, nothing at all. When the spirits saw the ransom, the, the gift that was given, they howled, woe, um, all our labour is in vain. Our hopes have come to nothing, said the demons. They threw into the air the scrolls on which the, my sins of gluttony were written. I, however, rejoiced and we went on. Now, as we were ascending, the holy angels said to each other, Truly this soul has been greatly assisted by the favourite of God, Basil. Were it not for his labours and prayers, she would have suffered a great deal in, the, in those toll houses. She barely would have made it this far. And we're only up to the fourth one. I took courage then and said to the holy angels, it seems, my lords, meaning, you know, that the living, those on earth in other words, have no idea of what the sinful soul undergoes after death. But the angels replied, don't the divine scriptures read daily in the churches prove these things to be true? Are they not confirmed by the preaching of God's holy clergy who serve at the altar? Is it because of their passion for worldly vanities that people have no regard for what they're told? This is the angel speaking, not me. Listen. They consider daily gluttony and drunkenness to be the greatest pleasure. They eat and drink beyond measure. They have no fear of God because their stomach is their God. They do not think of the future life and do not think about the words of Scripture which say, Woe to you that are full, for you shall hunger. So the, the angels are, are speaking in the most wonderful way and saying straight out that these things are taught. Well, one would hope that they're taught. But even if a lot of priests don't speak much about it because they're scared that people are going to get upset or because they don't believe themselves, they still read them in the, um, in the services the Gospels, etc., during the funeral service. So what are the angels saying? There's no excuse. Nevertheless, gluttons and drunkens easily pass by the toll houses. Now, this is quite shocking too. And their sins are readily forgiven by God if they are merciful and kind-hearted to the poor and beggars and help those who beg assistance. Now the angels are saying that God will forgive the gluttons and the drunkards and help them to pass through the toll houses if they are merciful and kind-hearted to the poor and beggars and help those who beg assistance. So there's a, there is something that we can learn today. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we'll read more about that soon. But that's what we need to do, help. And remember how much help she got by helping the, the elder while he was old. This is Theodora. And we have people we can help too. Our parents, husbands, wives, sick people, etc. 
that we have the opportunity to help people. And just so that you know that God forgives a multitude of sins when we help people that are in need. A multitude of sins, which we'll come to in a minute. Oh, it's coming now. Because of their kind-heartedness towards their neighbours, they passed the toll houses without stopping. It is said in the Holy Bible, alms giving, save from death and cleanse every kind of sin. Those who do alms giving and are righteous will be full of life. Those who are righteous, what does righteous mean? means those who keep the commandments. Well, what happens if we don't keep the commandments? We offer repentance. And those who do alms, those who help the poor, those who help those that are suffering, will be forgiven many, many sins. So here, just in case some of you got scandalised and said, what's that priest saying that you can get forgiveness of sins without confessing? You know, this Catholic mentality. But yet... What's the angel saying? Arms save from death and cleanse every kind of sin. So therefore, while we're on earth, we receive forgiveness of sins through many ways. Not, of course, saying that confession's not necessary. But, at the, but arms giving as well cleanses us of sins. This doesn't mean that if we do a sin that we say, okay, I should go and confess it, but I'm embarrassed. I'll go and give some money to some poor people. It means that we confess when we have to confess and we give alms. So that a lot of the sins, as St. David said, Prophet David in his Psalms where he says, Lord, show me my secret sins. In other words, Prophet David saying, show me the sins that I'm not even aware of. He was asking, I want to see all my sins so that I can repent. But a lot of times there are many that we don't know. And that's why God's given us this opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins through all those means that I said for the everyday sins and as well as to receive um, forgiveness of sins when we give to the poor and help. But he who does not strive to cleanse his sins by good deeds cannot escape the dark tormentors who lead the sinners down to the depths of hell and hold them bound until the terrible judgment at Christ's second coming. It's the second judgment. So the angels are saying if we don't do good deeds we can't be saved. Merciful deeds. This would have happened to you, said the angels to Theodora, if we had not ransomed you with payment from the gift of the Holy Basil, in other words, from the prayers of the, of the Holy Basil. And when we say the prayers of the Holy Basil, I want you to always know it's the prayers of the church, the liturgies, etc., as well. The memorial prayers. And, and so here we learn another thing. Merciful. The more we're merciful, the more God will have mercy on us. The more we do good, the more we will be cleansed and the more we can pass through the toll houses. So we've learnt that as well. What greater religion than that of the Christian Orthodox faith which teaches continually nothing else but to love your neighbour as yourself continually? 
the fifth toll house. During this conversation, we reach the toll house of sloth, where sinners are accused of all those days and hours which they wasted in idleness, like laziness. Here too are detained those who refuse to work but live by the labour of others. That bludges, in, in short words. Um, there are people, there are kids at home that live that don't work. And the parents, you know, if they're, if they're ill, yes. But a lot of times people say, well, you know, you've got to help, you've got to help. But St Paul says clearly, if someone doesn't work, let him not eat. So in other words, it's like St Paul saying what? To let them die from starvation, that's their problem. If they're not going to work, let them not eat. Unless, of course, they've got some illness. And those who were hired to work and accepted their wages but did not fulfil the duties which had, they had taken upon themselves when you get paid for something, you're not doing your job. So when you're doing something at work, if you're paid for something, do it. Don't go to the toilet and sit in there for 10 minutes and pretending that you've got some problem and then bludging and going here and going there, etc., etc. You've got to work diligently. St. John, Father John Christiankin, the, um, that Russian elder, he said, um, look at your work as being a work for God. It doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's a street cleaner, it doesn't matter. Anything that we do, it's still God is looking at us. How are we doing it? Oh, I didn't know that, some people say I thought that when I'm at work, religion's out of the picture. God doesn't look at us when we're working. At work, I steal, I bludge, I, you know, I use all their stuff and everything like that. I eat all the biscuits and so no one else can eat them. And I thought that, I, I'm, it's a, that, I thought that it's a, uh, my life is blocked off from the church. Poor people. Also are stopped... Here, those who neglect to praise God and are too lazy to go to church on feast days and Sundays, mat, either to matins or the liturgy, the, sorry, the, in matins, the liturgy, and the other church services. So these are important. Of course, sometimes there's, there's, there's reasons why people can't go to church, but it's important to know that we receive grace from that and every time we go, we are... Um, the angels write everything down. How we walked in, how we felt, did we repent, etc. Did we listen to the word of God? Did we listen to the preaching? All these things are recorded. At this, at this stop, a thorough examination is conducted and souls, if found guilty, are condemned for laziness, despondency, like when we kind of feel hopeless, and disregard for their salvation. It's a horrible thing that the worst thing is to have a disregard for our salvation. That's horrid. As a result, many lay people and clergy are thrown from here into the bottomless pit because all these sins are mentioned, not just sins for lay people, it's for monks and nuns, and priests, deacons, readers, bishops, patriarchs, everyone. So I too was accused of much and could not have freed myself if the holy angels had not balanced my sins by the gifts of the holy man, Basil. The sixth torment, next we stopped at the toll house of theft. My payment here was small because I'd never stolen except as a child in ignorance. And remember, theft is also if we, 
you know, do false insurance claims and Centrelink uh, payments, welfare payments, and all those things, there's still theft. Because some people begin to think that when they go into um, Centrelink to fill out their forms, that God somehow is not there and doesn't see the false things that have been written down. You know, that's not uh, a good attitude. The seventh torment, then we approach the toll house of greediness and love of money. We pass by without stopping because by God's grace I never loved riches. I was constant, I was content with what God gave me and I was never greedy. In other words, stingy or tight-fisted. On the contrary, I diligently gave to the needy that which I had. Now I wrote here a little note and says, giving money is one kind of good deed. Remember that blessed Theophilus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So there are many says blessed Theophilus, who are not greedy by nature. They are generous in almsgiving. Even unbelievers can be generous. Yet they fornicate and commit other uncleanliness. Christ commands, therefore, that along with the other virtues, we should also be pure, that is, chaste and self-controlled, not only in the body, but in the heart as well. Without holiness, namely chastity and self-restraint, no one will see the Lord. So here... Uh, she did have that virtue, maybe it was natural to her, maybe she worked at it, doesn't say, and she was given, you know, she liked to give money away, etc. But, you know, I've met people who don't have any money. I go, why come you don't have money? He goes, oh, I buy my friends things, I buy presents, I give here, I give to the Red Cross. I put money at the shops in those little money boxes for the um, house with no steps, etc., etc., etc. So they're very um, uh, generous, uh, but they don't repent, they don't pray, they don't fast, they don't care, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, don't think that because one is generous necessarily that the one receives the kingdom, because Christ said, teach them to obey all things I commanded. And note two, I said here, some are naturally generous, some spend their money on buying presents, as I said, buying expensive food, as though it's a passion not to keep money. Some people just can't keep money. Are we going to say that they've got the gift of almsgiving? So, when we rose still higher, we came to the toll house of, I hope I'm saying this word, this word because it's not used much, usury, where those who lend money at high interest rates are accused. Now, let me just explain. In the early Christian church, it was forbidden for a Christian to lend money and charge interest or any fee at all. Later on, in countries where the charging of interest became acceptable, the term usury came to be used for the charging of interest above the rate allowed by law or simply unreasonable high rates of interest. Now, if you remember, when I was reading from the, the commandments, the Eighth Commandment says, you shall not steal. And one of the questions that the priest asks the person coming to confession says, perhaps you collect interest when you lend money to someone. The, um, these books, that, that was written by St. Nicodemus, some people still say that you should never charge interest to, uh, to people when you lend them money. Of course, today when some people um, give someone money, they might take it out of their loan, so they might be charged interest. So I, I usually say, well, look, if you want, you don't charge any interest, or if you want, you charge the interest that you're going to pay for anyway. But in general, it's to me, it's a bit um, 
uh, uh, low when you know you're giving someone money because they need it, and then later on you say, "And I want 10%, and I want penalty fees if you don't get it back in time." So basically, the ancient church did not like people to lend money to someone for interest. However, as it says now, this term is used mostly for people who charge unreasonable interest rates. Theodora continues, he, uh, he too has stopped those who gain riches by exploiting their neighbours through, you know, like conning them, tricking, cheating, etc., fraud, dishonesty, swindling, as they say, and those who take bribes or those who steal indirectly and those who acquire what really belongs to others. The tormentors, when they did not find me guilty of such sins, gnashed their teeth with annoyance, but we went on praising God in the meanwhile. The ninth torment, next we came to the toll house of injustice. Here are punished the unjust judges who acquit the guilty and condemn the innocent. So there are judges who get paid to let people go off, or judges who are paid and said, look, this person's not guilty, but you find him guilty. Um, all for the sake of gain. And, um, you know, sometimes people do the wrong things out of political pressure. Some judges, out of public expectation, they go, oh, people are really upset about this person, what he did. So even though he didn't do it, but the judge says, oh, I better, I better find him guilty or somehow because people then will get upset with me. And not thinking, well, justice is not like that, is it? And also, those who do not give their, the appointed wages to those whom they hired. So you promise someone and say, you do this job, I'll give you 300. And at the end, he does the job and says, oh, no, I'll only give you 150. And the merchants and suppliers who use false weights and measures, we said this last time. Remember I said about the delicatessen near my place where they used to, um, person you say, okay, can I have um, you know, half a kilo of, of, of ham or something? And then they go, yes, yeah, very nice quality, but they're making it heavier. So it goes more than what. So it might have been 350 grams, but they put their finger on to make it 500. Or people fix their weights, their their um, scales, so that it can be more than what it is. All these things are sins, and all others who in, are in some way or un, other unjust. We, however, by God's grace, passed this toll house without experiencing any grief after we had given a little bit for my sins. The tenth tor torment is now after this came the toll house of envy. We passed it without giving anything at all in payment, since I had never had been jealous. He souls are also accused of lack of love, hatred towards their brethren, unfriendliness, and all types of wickedness and evil toward their neighbour. Through the mercy of Christ our God, I was found innocent of all these sins, and although I saw the savagery of the demons who gnashed their teeth at me, I no longer was afraid of them, and we continued on our way rejoicing. So she's at the tenth torment, and she's saying that she's not afraid anymore. Well, we'll see if that's true. Nevertheless, this is quite fearful. She actually didn't have the passion of envy, she's saying. She wasn't jealous. But do, uh, can we say that about ourselves, that we're not jealous? Do we not suffer from the passion of jealousy? So we need to repent of that passion and... Pray to God that um, we can have good deeds to pay for a lot of these sins, but as well as the prayers of the church. 
The 11th, next we came to the Thai house of pride, where arrogant spirits interrogate the dead regarding vainglory, disdain of others, absolute reliance on oneself rather than on God. In other words, when we have self-trust, stubbornness and boasting. You know, it's probably they've got their opinion and they stick to their opinion. It's called stubbornness. And even when they see that it's not true what they're saying, they're stubborn. That's demonic. And boasting when we boast about ourselves. And here too the souls are tormented for their failure to give proper honour to their parents, their government, or their other superiors appointed by God, and for failure to obey them. Here every one of my proud deeds and arrogant words was examined. So she was obviously guilty for some of those things. Here we put down very little for my sins, and I was free. As we continued rising towards heaven, we encountered the toll house of anger. Happy is the man who never in his life felt anger. That's true, isn't it? Happy is the man that never felt anger. The eldest of the evil spirits was sitting here on a throne, and he was full of anger, and he ordered his servants to torment and accuse me. What's this torment mean? It says that they torment. Every, it's called the twelfth torment, or another say the twelfth toll house. The torment is the fact that they are accusing the person and the torment is because you don't know whether they are going to be able to take you away from the angels. The, um, they began to point out not only the, all those occasions when I actually said something angrily or without feeling to anyone or harmed anyone by my words, but even those instances when I merely looked angrily at my children or punished them severely. So she also had children. And it's interesting here, punish them severely because we read in the talk last month that the spiritual father asks the person coming to confess, as St. Nicodemus in those sins there, and says, do you not punish your children? Do you not spank them when they're... Thing? So in other words, the church believes, as it says there, don't spare the rod and spoil the child, so that the church does believe in corporal punishment, but, as I said last time, you've got to be careful how old the child is, how you use it, etc., etc. I've never met an adult who has opened up and you know their life, etc., and that they've told me that they are damaged because they were belted. I have met people that said they were damaged because they went to school too early at four and a half, five, and it was terrorising. I have met people that said that they feel disturbed because they watched things on TV that were inappropriate and scary, etc. I have met children that were exposed, not children, adults, who were exposed to sex education at an early age, even in primary school, etc., and became terrorised and became affected later on in their married life. And I've met people who were disturbed because their, their parents were harsh or um, cold or emotionally abused them. But no one's ever really told me and go, oh, I'm really, really affected that my, my father or my mother used to belt me. You know, never really experienced that. But the psychologists today, they say, oh, he said that, you know, 
corporal punishment is very, very bad. We shouldn't use it at all. And um, they say because it terrorises the child. But the same psychologists, strangely enough, never talk about uh, the fact that children that watch the Harry Potter or watch these other things, Twilight, about vampires, or watch things that are beyond their age. They never talk about the fact that these affect the children, but they're worried if you're going to smack the child a bit and they're all up in arms about it and say, no, 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 it's bad. You affect the child. But I don't hear any of them speak about those things. Of course, how's a psychologist who's gone to university and is with the world going to come along and say, um, I believe that Harry Potter is no good for children? People will say, oh, you're an idiot. This is, it promotes literacy. People read books and learn how to read and learn how to do magic. That's my input. Or, or, or it says, in, back in my days, I always thought when it said um, restricted or 18 plus or things like that, I always thought that you know, if you saw something like that, you'd get in trouble. That's what I thought when I was younger, that you know, when you're young, you're not allowed to see things that are rated differently, even though their ratings stink. Um, they're just ridiculous, like 15 and over, and they're, and they're seeing things there which are inappropriate. But anyway, the point is that there are children who are watching things on television which are completely beyond them, which terrorises them, it, it, it traumatises them, it affects them. They're watching things of details, of sexual things and drug things and crimes and killings and tortures, etc., and I've never heard not one psychologist to come along and say, hey, parents, what are you doing allowing children to watch it? Because we know that they're watching it. And there's no law against it. There's no law saying that um, a, a five-year-old, for example, who watches Harry Potter or watches Law and Order or watches some other things on television which are, which are beyond them, that those parents will get in trouble. That that terrorises the children. No, nothing said. But they're there, yap, 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 and you're not allowed to hit children, you're not allowed to do this and do that. That's what terrorises the children. That's what affects them. That's what makes psychotics and schizophrenics, etc. Et those type of things, where the child goes into their own world because it can't cope with what it's seen, so it's got to just enter in and implode, as they say. Keep it all in. Because it doesn't know how to express to say, um, you know, like a, a seven-year-old, six-year-old. It's very hard for a child to say, uh, Mum, wh why did that person do that and that? They don't know how to do that. They can't uh, express themselves. They just get terrorised. I showed once on the current affairs or something, it showed um, some kids watching something on TV. I think it was something to do with... Um, maybe it was to do with Harry Potter. I can't remember. And so they say, oh, the children love it. So they have these little children there watching it and they're like this, as if they were stoned. And the parents say, see how they really like it? They really like it. They don't like it. They're just sitting there becoming disturbed. There's no laws about that. But why do we need laws? As Orthodox Christians, it's forbidden to allow children. If you want to watch it, that's your business Go in your room and watch it privately, whatever you want to watch, but don't let your little children be exposed to those type of things and, di and disturb them. And then you wonder why they can't even settle down. 
you see the kids are like this, uh, they can't settle down. Why? Because they're disturbed. They're not, they're not calm. And then, and then you've got millions and millions of children all around the world on written and all those things for ADD and ADHD and ABC. All these things. Why? Oh, because it's a, bi it's a biochemical, etc., etc., and this and that. Let me tell you, as I said last time, that the person who was told to research that medication to see whether it, it does help children with all these problems, ADHD, the ones that are uncontrollable, etc., that it was just, I just heard it uh, a few months ago, that that person falsified his research. So therefore, the whole world listened to one demonic man who actually said that those pills are okay for children to take and it does help children that have got behavioural problems. And millions of people all around the world were giving their children these, these, these most powerful drugs. Now let me know what I'm up to. So we finished the anger. After this, we came to the toll house of resentment. Here are accused those who nurture in their hearts evil thoughts against their neighbours, like remembering their neighbours' wrongs, and those who return evil for evil. God's mercy saved me here too, since I had held no grudges and did my best to love those who offended me and to conquer evil by my goodness and kindness. That's what we're commanded to do. When someone does evil to us, we're supposed to conquer evil by doing good. Only the Christian faith teaches that. Not other religion. Most religions is an eye for an eye, etc., etc. Christ was the first one to bring into the world the teaching of loving your enemies. No one else. A person who always has a desire to revenge of remembering wrongs, is tormented. And all of us have experienced it, and it is difficult to rid ourselves of this, but with God all things are possible. Unable to um, charge me with resentment, the demonic toll collectors had no choice but to let me pass freely, and we hurried on our journey joyful in the Lord. Now, here I dared to ask my guides, the angels, the following. Theodora saying, tell me, how can these terrible rulers of the air know in such detail all the evil deeds of mankind throughout the world? And not only the open ones, but even those that are secret. How do they know this? The, the angels replied, every Christian, as soon as he is baptised, receives from God an appointed guardian angel. This angel invisibly protects and inspires him night and day to do good deeds throughout his life. So our angels, our guardian angel that we're given at baptism, is always inspiring us to do good, help inspiring us to repent. The angel also records all his good deeds so that the Christian may have hope in the Lord's mercy and an eternal reward in the kingdom of heaven. 
So that's inspiring. Every single good deed that we do, every thought, every feeling, everything is recorded by our guardian angel. Or every Orthodox Christian has a guardian angel. Whether that angel is close to us in our life depends on us. The guardian angel moves away from us. He can't do much with us. When we, through our sins and repentance, we, we shoo him away. We need to have a relationship with our guardian angel. It's good to read the Akathist or the canon to the guardian angel. We need that because as our patron saint, we also we have a patron, the name that we, we're given. My patron saint is Saint Cosmas, uh, the, the Greek saint. And then we have our guardian angel. And look, look at this, he says, The angel also records all his good deeds so that the Christian may have hope in the Lord's mercy and eternal reward in the kingdom of heaven. It is our good deeds which help us to receive the kingdom of heaven, in other words. The prince of darkness who desires to destroy the entire human race also appoints one of his evil spirits to follow the person in order to observe and record all his wicked deeds from childhood. Now some people say this is very simplistic. This is very simplistic. It sounds like it's not even true, etc. And my answer to that is I don't really care what they think. It is his duty to inspire people to commit sins by any evil trickery in his power. And when he succeeds in his plan, he records all the weakness of which the person has made himself guilty. <clears throat> this evil spirit then delivers lists of sins to the demons at the toll houses. This is how the aerial princes, in other words, the demons, know all the sins of every man. So simple, but that's what Christianity is, simple. When you hear people doing talks and they make things that are complicated, why is that? Christ's teachings were beautiful and simple. The saints are simple. And people used to listen to Christ's teachings and go, oh, why does anyone listen to him? about seeds and the kingdom of heaven is like this and, and it was all simple but yet in that simplicity was the wisdom of God and power. We don't need complex talks and things like this. simple. Why would I want to speak in a, in a difficult way? I even make a lot of grammar mistakes because I don't write things down. I mean except for this what I'm saying but a lot of it I speak freely. A lot, of, a lot of people won't do that. They will read everything because they're scared of making a grammar mistake and people might say, oh, he doesn't have grammar. Who cares? I can sit here and write something really complex. Why do you have to speak like that? Why do they have to speak like that for? So they're talking to ordinary people and they're talking as if they're reading an essay from university. I'll tell you why they do it. Because they're insecure. Because they believe that they are showing themselves when they're speaking and because they're empty, they need their big words to give them authority and power or whatever credibility. I don't need that because what I'm saying comes from God's word. It comes from the church. It's not me, it's God's word. God's word gives the power to people and, and the grace. Therefore, I don't need to use those words to put myself up. They do. That's why they speak like that. Whether you go into a university lecture or you go into one of their talks, 
It's like they're speaking in a way. Do you think that did this person come from you know Oxford University or something? Why is he speaking like that for? Because they're empty. It's a simple word. Emptiness is um, the reason that they need to do that. Know also that only those enlightened by the orthodox faith and holy baptism can rise and be tested in the toll houses of torment. Toll houses are for orthodox Christians that are baptised only. When a person's soul is parted from the body and begins the journey to its creating heaven, the evil spirits attempt to stop it, producing the list of sins, which is what we've already read. If the soul has done more good deeds than sins, they cannot keep it. But if the sins outweigh the good deeds, then the evil spirits are granted temporary custody of the soul. Now, what's this word, temporary custody of the soul? Let's see. The demons confine the soul in a prison where it cannot see God and they torment it as much as the Lord allows. It is kept here in this dark place until it is released, until its release is obtained by those prayers of the church and by arms given on its behalf by those who are still on earth. Any account like this that you read, because sometimes they get around where they talk about the, the next life, etc., etc. If you read one of those accounts which does not have this very thing in it, it's not orthodox. So when you see, because I read once, even in an orthodox book, a, theo, a, a book uh, written by orthodox, it was, it was, you know, has a lot of good things in there, but it said one part, when the person dies, it, they either go to heaven or hell and that's it. That's not orthodox. And that's how you know that something's orthodox, where they have this very thing. And the very thing is what St. Nicodemus, I'm going to go off now, and put what St. Nicodemus writes, which I read in talk 29 and 30. The church considers, this is St. Nicodemus's words, a great holy father. The church considers the departed brethren as sinners and not as righteous. The souls of those who have fallen asleep are considered to be in a dark and distressing place and simply put it in the prison of Hades, which is truly a place of sorrow and a cause for sadness. So St. Nicodemus is confirming exactly what is written in this account. That when someone dies, if they're not being cleansed properly, if they, if, they, if, if they don't make it, one can say, then they're put in a place of, which is called Hades. That's not the, full, the fullness of hell. It's, and he says here, it is distressing and dark, etc. Wherefore, the church offers supplications through the memorial services that the souls of the departed brethren be freed from such a place and be placed in a place of light, a place of green pasture, a place of refreshment when, wherein there is no sorrow or sign. That last part is exactly what's said in the memorial prayers for the dead when the priest goes to the cemetery or does the funeral service or he does whatever. He says that, Grant, O Lord, that the soul of your departed servant be placed in a place of light, a place of green pasture, 
a place of refreshment where there is neither sorrow or sorrow. And I said in talk 29, well, where is it? If the priest is asking for the soul to be put there, where is it now? And the answer is, it's in Hades. And therefore, it is the prayers of the church where St. Nicodemus says, can release the soul of someone who has died with certain sins, etc., that he hasn't been fully um, cleansed. Now, I remember uh, a priest said to me from North America, and I remember reading in a magazine the most stupid comment, which was, we do memorial prayers because it helps those who are on earth. It gives them a little bit of consolation. So when we pray for our dead people, it's because we want to feel good about it. And I said to this person, I'm a bit, you know, I said I'm confused with that. What are you talking about there? He goes, well, in North America, we can't say things that are uncomfortable for people because if we say to people, well, we're praying for the soul to be released from Hades to be put into paradise, we'll offend them. And I said to him that, basically in a roundabout way, that's blasphemy. So that's what he wants to be politically correct. In North America, we don't tell women not to wear pants to church because it's not nice. In North America, we don't tell people not to wear makeup because they'll get offended. In North America, a lot of the Orthodox churches are Protestant, basically, I think he should have said. And in, and in Australia, the same thing. This is a basic Orthodox teaching which is not even known. St. Mark of Ephesus teaches the following. The faithful who have died with small sins unconfessed or who have not brought forth fruits of repentance for sins they have confessed are cleansed of these things either in the trial of death itself, which is what I said before to Zora, with its fear. So they're cleansed with the trial of death as they're dying with the fear. Or after death when they are confined, but not permanently, in Hades, those people, he said, are, are, are released by the prayers and liturgies of the church and good deeds performed for them by the faithful. Those who have sinned forgivably and moderately hope to gain freedom through the unspeakable mercy of God. For on behalf of such souls... There are in the church prayers, supplications, liturgies, as well as memorial services and alms given, that those souls may receive favour and comfort. So that is the orthodox teaching of the, of the church. And what's written here in the toll houses of Theodora is 100% orthodox. Those who believe in the Holy Trinity and take as frequently as possible Holy Communion, the body and blood of Christ, such people can rise to heaven directly with no hindrances. And the holy angels defend them and the holy saints of God pray for their salvation since they have lived righteously. If someone's struggling, not perfect, just struggling and repenting, falling, repenting, uh, confessing, etc., trying to do the commandments of Christ, and they commune, then it says here that those people pass the toll houses unhindered because they are full of God's light and the demons cannot approach someone who's full of God's light. Of course, how we commune is the question. 
Now, there was a woman once who went to church, she communed to an all-night vigil, and then as she was coming home, a car hit her and she died. Some people say, oh, look at that, she went to the church, and what, how did the church help her? The church helped her because she communed and she was killed, and therefore, uh, um, her, she went in the best possible way. Um, a spiritual father of mine that was overseas in Greece, they say that he was sitting in, in the altar and they were doing matins and he was waiting to serve liturgy. He didn't serve liturgy, but he used to serve every day. And he was sitting there and he died of a heart attack as he was sitting in the altar uh, during matins. So as he was there praying, as he was there thinking about his, about his sins, as he was ready to serve the liturgy, he died of a heart attack. And people say, oh, that's bad luck. No, not bad luck. That's actually... Um, good because the person died in a state of prayer. St. John, Archbishop of Shanghai in San Francisco, died after the liturgy he served and then he spent three hours in the altar, then he went to his room and then people heard um, a thump, he fell down, they came, put him on the armchair and um, he was praying because he had the curse grid icon there which is coming next Friday. He had the curse grid icon, he was praying and suddenly he died. Now, some people say, but, does that, but didn't you say that a sudden death's no good? Well, St. Athanasius of Manathos, he was a great saint, um, the abbot, I think, of um, La uh, uh, Monastery, and he was expect, inspecting the church, and as he was there, the, the church wall fell down because they were building it, and it fell on him and killed him. But that's not good, is it? Yeah, because he was always in a state of grace, praying communing often etc so that's okay it's when a person dies abruptly and has not one thought of God as for the soul which is so sinful and impure before God that has no hope of salvation the evil spirit straight away cast it into the depth of Hades there the soul is held captive until the second coming of Christ after which it shall be tormented with the body forever together with the wicked spirits as for the soul which is so sinful and impure before God and it has no hope of salvation. Now, no one, however, takes care of the wicked and depraved heretics who do nothing useful during their lives and live in disbelief and heresy. The angels can say nothing in their defence. Now, people think when they read this, they go, oh, yeah, the heretics, that's the Catholics or wherever. The... No, no, this is not what they're talking about. This is, this is talking about baptised Orthodox Christians who are heretical in the church. It says here, the angels can say nothing in their defence, meaning that they start to go through the toll houses because they're orthodox Christians, and straight away, because of their heresy or unbelief, they're, they're taken down to Hades. We're speaking here, when we say the wicked and heretic, we're talking about baptised Orthodox Christians, which is separate to those outside the church. So you can have a bishop, an Orthodox bishop, who does baptisms. When he blesses the bread and wine, it turns to body and blood. When he um, ordains a priest, he's a priest. When he blesses, it's a blessing. But he's a heretic, meaning that he has views which are against the church's teaching. But he's still part of the church.
And people get mixed up, mixed up. They go, once a person teaches heresy, it means he's got no grace and he's got no, no priesthood and all these things. It just confuses people. Well, later on, God willing, when we read the history of the church, I will give you many examples of, of um, bishops and priests that were heretics. Even Arius, when he was preaching that Christ isn't God, until he was anathematized, when he was thrown out of the church... Up to that time, even though he had heretical views, he was still a priest of the, of the Church of Alexandria. He still gave communion to people, etc., whoever wanted to go to him. I mean, why would you want to go to him anyway? But the point is that uh, if he did baptise someone, the person was baptised, even though he was a heretic. So we've got to understand there's heretics that are orthodox and there's heretics that are outside. Now, now the angel goes to the next group, as for unbelievers and all others who are alien to God, they do not take this path or undergo this interrogation. In other words, the angel is saying, but the ones that are heretics do go through the path because they are baptised Orthodox Christians. The next group are the unbelievers and heretics that are outside of the church. Others who are alien to God, they do not take this path or undergo this interrogation. Their soul belongs to hell even before they part from their bodies. When they die, the devils take their souls with no need to test them. Such souls are their property and they take them down to the bottomless pit. Please note, someone might say, does that mean that everyone who's not orthodox goes to hell? I will tell you a special note here. Those who are willfully hostile to God, those who know the truth and deny it, so, for example, you've got a Catholic person who believes in Christ and whatever, but, that's, but they don't know about orthodoxy. They believe in Christ in, in whatever the way that they believe. We cannot condemn that person. How God would judge them, it's, it's his, in his hands. God is love and merciful, etc. He wants everyone to be saved. How he's going to save them is not our business. So we are not to become antichrist by saying those people are going to go to hell. The fathers of the church say, outside the church there is no salvation. And some fanatics say, see, outside the church there's no salvation. Anyone who's not orthodox, there's no salvation. That's not what it means. It means we who are orthodox and know the truth, if we leave the church, there is no salvation. That's one group. Then we've got the other group. Those who are not orthodox and know that orthodox is the truth but stay in their heresy will not be saved. Those who are willfully sinning and their conscience is telling them that what they're doing is wrong and they, they don't care, they will not be saved. So we have to understand what we mean by unbelievers. Leave that to God. The 14th torment, during our conversation, which the, the torment of murder, where are accused not only men such as robbers, but even those who have in some way wounded another man, struck him or pushed him angrily. We made a small payment and went on. The 15th torment, next we arrive at the torment of the, 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 at the toll house of magic, sorcery, etc., communication with devils like mediums, etc. Now, I ask the following question. I watch things. I, 
as I said, I, I have to keep in um, what's going on. Now they've got a program going on which is called about psychics, the best psychic in Australia, etc. And they've got these idiots there who believe that they're psychics. People watch that and people say, well, how did they know? How did they know this and how did they know that? This is going on everywhere. We've got people that speak to supposedly our dead relatives. We have people who can tell us the future. We have people that do spells. And yet, we, we do not hear from the church, from the pulpit, as we say, from in, in the church, to, priests, to speak against this, even though it is a very big problem more than ever. Because before... When you used to go to these places, you had to go to some place, some dark place, some sinister there with an old hag with warts on her nose, and you go there and you say, can you tell me, you know, my son's sick and do something, and then they do their stuff there, etc. The place looked digy and all that. Now, it's no longer like that. It's easy. It's easy as. And therefore, the church needs to condemn this to say that those who are visiting those places, it is equivalent to denying God. Some church fathers even believe that people who deny God need to be chrismated again, not baptised, because you only be baptised once, but chrismated. When the baby is baptised and then they're chrismated, the priest has the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, etc. St. Nicodemus says those who denied Christ, even if they were young and they were taken from their parents young and made Muslims, even though the child didn't consciously deny Christ, he needs to be chrismated to receive the Holy Spirit. I know that there are people in Greece who actually say that people that have delved in these things should be chrismated because a lot of times they have lost grace. Those have denied. It's equivalent to those who would stand in the stadium and the emperor would say, deny Christ and I'll let you go. And they say, I deny Christ and off they go. And then the church used to chrismate them when they repented with a penance. Sometimes 20 years, no communion, 15, some of them, some, some places they were even given, they weren't allowed to commune to the day they died. That's how strict the church was. Now people don't know that it's bad. Why? Because no one tells them. Of course there are some people who, who do speak, but in general, it's not spoken. So the evil spirits this toll house resemble serpents, snakes, scorpions and toads. They are frightening and repulsive. By the grace of God, they found nothing of this kind in me. And we quickly continued on without making any payment. Even watching films like the Harry Potter for our children, they are communing with demons. Now you might say, oh, that's silly. I don't care what people have to say. That's the truth. When we were young, we used to watch stupid cartoons like Bugs Bunny, and they used to have witches and sorcerers and things like that, and, and, you know, and people thought, oh, that's just children's stuff. But it's not. It's a stepping stone from those little things. There was Casper the Friendly Ghost, and there was shows like Bewitched, and all these old shows, as they went on, they went on, then we go to Buffy's, and, and then it goes on and on, and now we've got the vampires, what they call the Twilight, and the Harry Potter, seven, eight movies, whatever he did, and this is full-on... Uh, uh, um, sorcery because that stupid woman that wrote those books she actually said that she got books of sorcery and used real spells and things like that in, in the books but there are priests who say how dare you speak against this great work see they want to be politically correct 
because they've started university and they don't want their university other people to say, oh, how can you speak like that about this great work? Well, because I don't, in, I don't go to those circles, I'm not involved in those circles, I'm quite happy not to have their acknowledgement. I don't, I don't want their acknowledgement. But these people who are with their doctorates, et cetera, et cetera, it's very hard for them, a person who's got a doctorate in whatever they've got, in church history or whatever, to, for someone to find out, one of their people at the university, say, oh, don't you believe in those? Those things are great. See, that's called political correctness and, and, and um, compromise, etc. What do you want that for? Simplicity, simplicity. It's very, very simple. Those things are not correct. Read the elders of the church and you'll see that they all spoke the same. They speak and that's where I get a lot of what I um, say. I learn from them because they had the grace of God. Does that mean some educated people aren't good? We've got some very good. St. Nikolai, St. Eustin, was a, he had a PhD. But he was an ascetic. So he, he's... He was holy. St. Nikolai was holy. St. Nectorius had a, had, a, had a theological degree. Yes, that's some. Elder Paisius didn't. Elder Porfirius went up to second class. So some are educated, some are not. But the ones that were educated, they were also ascetics. They were spiritual people. A lot of what's being produced now out of the universities, theological colleges and the seminaries are not spiritual. They are people with papers who believe that they've got a degree in theology and come along and say, oh, by the way, the toll houses are myths. Enraged by this, the demons shouted, soon you will come to the toll house of fornication. We shall see whether you escape so easily there. And this is very interesting. So they're saying, that could be lying, because remember that they lie, they're saying, we're going to get you on the toll house of fornication. In other words, saying that she had uh, uh, sex outside of marriage or things, it must have been when she was young. Well, let's see. Now, as we were rising, I dared to question the holy angels once more. And Theodora said, do all Christians pass these torments? Do some pass by the toll house without being tested? The angels replied, this is the only path for the faithful to ascend to heaven. They have to go through the air, through the toll houses. All must come this way, but not everyone is tormented like you. Not everyone is interrogated, in other words, like you. Only sinners like you are tormented because out of false shame, they have hidden their most disgraceful deeds from their spiritual father. If a person fully confesses all of his sins and regrets them, and repents for them, his sins are invisibly wiped out by God's mercy. When a repentant soul comes here, the aerial toll collectors, the demons and others, rush for their books, containing the list of sins, in other words, and what do they find? Blank pages. The evil spirits see this and know that because of the soul's confession, in other words, because that person confessed while on before their death, the sins they recorded have all been wiped out. Their books are empty. And they are very much saddened by this. They cannot harm or terrify his soul, which joyfully flies past them to the next, to the throne of God. Sorry. However, if a man is still alive when his confession has wiped out sins and he lives, 
The spirits once again tried to have an, accusa- uh, an occasion to record some new sins. So there's a constant fight. So we sin, we repent, we confess, and then they hit us again. So we got to uh, repent, struggle, and continually uh, confess. But that doesn't mean that if we sin some things during the day that we don't repent um, during our prayers or even at that moment. We should be grateful, as Elder Ephraim once, I think someone told me this in America, they said that some people went to the Elder Ephraim and was complaining and saying, oh, the priests, they don't do this, don't do that. And you know what he said? He said, we should be grateful that there are priests that can at least do the baptisms to give Holy Communion and to give absolution. So uh, that is a big thing. Remember that in the communist countries, Albania, they never saw a priest for years. Russia, they were, it was very difficult. People went unbaptized. There was no one to, to bury, their, bury the dead, no one to do prayers, no one to commune, no one to confess. Depends on the time. Sometimes the church was um, revitalised, but in general there was a lack. And maybe a lot of times we don't deserve to have people who, remember what some elders said, they said, elder, why isn't there spirit-bearing elders, some great spiritual fathers? He says, because there's no good spiritual children. If there are good spiritual children, God will give holy spiritual fathers. But if there are spiritual children who are not going to listen and not care about their souls, why would then God give holy spiritual fathers when when the spiritual father speaks, they will disregard him and therefore they will be put further into hell for ignoring a holy person. Sometimes it's God's mercy that we actually don't have much. Indeed, there is a great source of salvation for man in his confession. Confession saves him from many misfortunes and much unhappiness and gives him the opportunity to pass all the tie houses with no hindrance and to approach God. Some people do not confess their sins because they hope to work out their salvation and to receive forgiveness of their sins at a later time. Oh, I'll just live live up. I'll, I'll work out my soul later on when death comes suddenly. While on the other hand, there are others who are simply ashamed of telling their spiritual fathers about their sins. Now, this is a trick of the devil. The devil says, oh, the spiritual father will be shocked. The spiritual father will not like you. The spiritual father will think, oh, how horrible, how sick, how this, how that. So that's a trick of the devil. The spiritual fathers um, for themselves and they, and they go and confess themselves. Now, uh, a spiritual father who understands sin will take it as it is, that he'll understand. But the devil says, no, he's going to judge, he's going to think this and think that. Don't listen to those thoughts. Open up and say your sins and be freed of them. We continue. They will, however, be severely tested when they pass the toll houses, in other words, those who hide their sins. They are still other people who are ashamed of telling everything to one spiritual father, so what do they do? They go to several spiritual fathers and reveal some sins to one and none to another. That's like the, the jumping, like Skippy. So up here, jump there, go to that priest, 
Okay, now that priest, now which priest did I tell that I did this? I forgot now. I think it was that one. So I'll go to the other one. And that's, that's playing with God. Elder John Christiankin, that, that I told you before, the elder of Russia, he says, when you're going to find a spiritual father, some of you don't have spiritual fathers, when you have to look for a spiritual father, don't just jump to anyone. And I like his advice, which is the same advice that I actually believe in. And when I read it, I go, that, that's actually good. He confirmed what I thought, which is, he said, go to different ones. Go there, a few in the beginning, not to hide things, but just go, feel, and then the one that you feel comfortable in, with, the one that you feel cares for your soul, the one that you feel that you're soothed spiritually, that understands you, the one that you feel prays for you, the one that you feel cares for you, etc., etc., that's the one you go. So there's no, you don't just go to one and that's it. You, you are allowed to go and look. Some people say, I'm going to go to one. Once I go to one, I'm locked in. No, you can go to a few. You tell the spiritual father, I haven't found a spiritual father. I'm, I'm looking around until I find. You go to one, go to another, go to another. And then after a while, you pray to God and you begin to feel, I think I feel I like that one. That's who you go to. Do you like that advice? I think that's um, a very uh, wise advice given by Elder John. So... If you had made, said the angel, a complete confession of your sins and had been granted forgiveness and struggled with all your strength to make up for them by good deeds. Because the angel saying, you can't just sin and then confess. You have to make up with good deeds. Now some people say, but God, Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross, we can't make up. God's sacrifice is free. Yes, it's free, but God wants us to do good deeds as well. And that's why St. James says, you believe, the devil also believes, but you must do good deeds. It's not just faith, good deeds as well. So he says here, um, when we are granted forgiveness, we have to make up with good deeds you would not have been subjected to such terrible torments in the toll houses. Nevertheless, you have been helped by the fact that it has been many years since you ceased committing mortal sins and began living virtuously. That's important too. More importantly, you have been helped by the prayers of God's holy man, Basil, whom you have served much and very well. Stay close to the monasteries. Stay close to, the, to a priest that will care for your soul. I'm saying this. So that... When we die, we are sure that we will get prayers. You might say, oh, but is my priest a holy man? How do we know what the priest is? Does it really matter at the end of the day? Stay close to the priest that the priest can conserve. Tell people to ring up monasteries and send money to do 40-day liturgies. And be close to a monastery so that they know, so that they know you that they've gone through your pains and problems and ups and downs so they have a relationship with you so that when you die, they know you and they can pray from love and those prayers help tremendously. During our conversation, we approached the toll house of fornication. Here, souls are accused of sins against chastity, in other words, sexual sins, including unclean thoughts and fantasies of impure glances, 
lustful touches, because this can, um, I'm adding this because this can lead to fornication. Some people say, to, they've said about men, oh, that priest is too strict. He doesn't even let you know, men with women to kiss and he's, you know, he says, oh, a woman shouldn't go in someone else's car, etc., etc. That's old-fashioned, etc. Don't worry about that, what they say. A lot of people lost their marriages just from one touch. People haven't got rights to go up to your wife and kiss and this and that and all that. You've got no idea how the devil works. Fire, petrol, what happens? Boom. That's the same thing. If people, these priests that say these things, don't even know what spiritual warfare is. One priest says, oh, what's wrong with that? You know, you, you know it says in the Bible you give each other a kiss. Yes, men kiss men, women kiss women. I don't hear anywhere where I have never gone to a monastery where a nun come up to me and kiss me. So these things that people say, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. No, don't listen to those priests. I don't know what they're... They're, they're old-fashioned. How many marriages have been lost? Just one. I'll give you one example. There was a bishop, a holy bishop, and he was sick. And some, a nun came with... A, an abbess came with a nun to visit him. And as he was lying there, the young nun accidentally brushed on him, on the bishop. And this caused a iskushanya, as we say, a temptation. And the bishop said to the abbess, can you please leave this nun behind to help me? And the abbess says, okay. Your eminence, that's, that's, that's okay. And then they fell. That's a nun with a bishop who was meant to be a holy person. So we have great saints that fell just from one glance. The prophet David fell from one glance. He was on his roof and he noticed the woman that was bathing and then he, and then he, he was inflamed with lust and then he, he wanted her and then he actually organised for her husband to be sent far away where, to be killed because he was in the army, knowing that he would be killed. He was killed and then he, 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 he fell with her. So he had two sins. That he, that, he, that he committed. One was murder and one was adultery. And hence, have mercy on me, God, have mercy on me. Twice he says it. Have mercy on me, God, have mercy on me for, for, for those great sins. You know, there's some people that actually, I don't mean to be rude, but some people actually look forward to Pascha so they can go around and kiss the opposite sex on purpose. In other words, they're sleazy. So, Let's get off them and let's go back on. So, um, innocent kisses, etc. Passionate embraces. Oh, sorry, once a woman many years ago confessed and said that she went to a party, not to a party, to a work, to a work-related seminar where she had to go somewhere. And they were staying at a hotel. And she said that at that time that they were partying, uh, drinking, I don't know, they were, they were having some recreation. And she said that she sat on the lap of some person. She was married. And I said to her, look, don't commune for about a year. Until you understand that that can lead to adultery. That can lead to a destruction of marriage. And people say, oh, that's fanatical. Oh, is it? Or is it more fanatical for someone not to care that someone can lose their marriage and fall? The prince of this torment sat on a throne 
clothed in a vile, foul-smelling garment. And there was a multitude of demons standing around him. Oh, sorry, when that woman finally came to her senses, maybe four or five months later, I let her commune. But I wanted her to understand that, what, that, that, that is wrong. Priests say, um, you even hear it in North America and here, oh, so what if the kids go for a date? You know, of course they're young, they're going to go for a date. Dates lead to sin. Okay? They go, oh, no, but you're not realistic. I am realistic. These STDs, AIDS, uh, unwanted pregnancies, etc., etc., the list goes on. I think that's realistic. The priests who say that people aren't realistic if they tell people not to date, they're not realistic. Uh, they think that a young couple, young, young man and woman, are going to go out and do nothing. That, to me, they're living on Pluto. They are really even further. I, don't, I forgot my solar system. The one that's the furthest. That's where they are. When they saw me, they marvelled that I'd already passed so many toll houses. Remember, this is the 16th. They brought out records of all my deeds of fornication and accused me by naming the persons with whom I'd sinned in my youth, the places and the times. Looks like she had fallen. See that? I kept silent and was trembling with fe- shame and fear. So before when she said back at number, where was it, around 10 or something, she goes, I had no fear. Well, she was wrong. So you can get tricked in the air too, you see. So she had fallen and she began to tremble. The holy angels, however, said to the devils, she ceased committing sins of fornication many years ago and has since led the ascetic life of purity, abstinence and fasting, good deeds. But the demons replied, we too know that she has long ago ceased sinning. But she failed to confess thoroughly before her spiritual father and has not fulfilled a suitable penance for the satisfaction which she should do for her sins. Satisfaction is a term where St. Nicodemus explains that you must get a penance. A penance is, the priest, we said this in talk 43, where the whole half the talk, where penance is fasting, some prayers, prostrations, and not communing for a certain period of time. That's called a penance. People say, but God is forgiving. Why do we have to do those things? That's what the Protestants say. Yes, but I will read something in a minute. Therefore, she is ours. Either leave her to us or ransom her with good deeds. The angels offered many of my good deeds, but even more did they escape, take from the gift given by the holy man Basil. Having barely escaped this great grief, I hurried on with the angels. So, uh, just a quick thing there. You, um, you must accept the rule assigned to you by your spiritual father, says Saint Nicodemus, with great joy, whether it be fasting, prostrations, or to give alms, or anything else. And above all, you must wholeheartedly accept to abstain from Holy Communion for as many years or months, whatever, as described by your spiritual father. For this light chastisement, this little penance, you pacify the great wrath of God. So in other words, it's not enough just to go and confess, but we need to be given penances. And it's these penances which help us not to be punished, chastised by God. Listen to this. He says, By this temporal penance, you escape the eternal penance of hell. 
Saint Nicodemus teaches that the meaning of the word satisfaction is the reconciliation between the penitent and God. And uh, look, I heard a lot of things here, but I just, I don't want to, I've talked about all that in the, in the previous talk, 43. I just say this the sins, yes, the sins of sinners are forgiven, but under the presumption that they will keep his rule and not to commune for the period of time given by their spiritual father. Before the spiritual father reads the prayer of absolution, he says, this is what I want you to do. Are you willing to do it? If the person says yes, he reads the prayer of absolution. If he says no, the priest does not read the prayer of absolution. That's proper confession. The, the, uh, Saint Nicodemus um, in there says, the sins are forgiven, but not their consequences. And chastisement, which is the assigned rule and not communion for a period of time. So God forgives, but when we sin, we have consequences. And he says, example, David's sin was forgiven when he did those two sins of murder and adultery. It was forgiven because Nathan said to him, the prophet Nathan said, the Lord has put away thy sin, forgiven. But he was chastised. For after the forgiveness, he was cast out of his kingdom by his son and suffered many other evils. So that's why we, a lot of people who know what spiritual life is about, beg their spiritual life, says, give me a penance so that I will not be uh, punished by, uh, chastened by God. So that's a little bit of that. But once I'll, I'll talk about that another time, but more. We reach the torment of adultery where those who are married must give account for failure to keep their bed undefiled and for every lapse in marital faithfulness, in other words, fidelity. And today, it's so easy for people to fall into this. It's, it's just everywhere, on the computers, everywhere. Those who abduct young women and other rapists must also answer for themselves here, as well as those who have devoted themselves to God, meaning monastics, and promised to live ch chastely for Christ, but have fallen and failed to keep their promise, their monastic vows. I too had a great debt here. Hmm. So let's see what she did. The evil spirits accused me of being an adulteress. Now remember, all because they accuse, it doesn't mean that it's true, because they also lie. So I, this, could be a, this actually could be the fact that they're lying, trying to trick her. So the, the evil spirits accused of being an adulteress and were about to tear me from the arms of the angels. They demanded an enormous sum for my sins, the holy angels, however, began to argue with them, showing them all my later labours and good deeds. In other words, she had fallen into adultery. And, the, um, and then the angels were defending, because that's what the angels do, defend and say, yes, she did do that, but look at these good deeds, etc., etc. There's an I, there's, um, as the saints say, the angels and the demons are kind of, as we say, arguing, if we can use that word. After some time they rescued me, but with difficulty. This was not so much by my good deeds, for they deposited everything that remained, but rather by the treasure of my father Basil, from which they also took very much to put on the scale to balance my sins. Then they took me and went on. So this is quite a serious, so she actually fell into adultery. And not only that, she also fell in the other sins as well. So, what's the name of the talk? The name of the talk is 
the aerial toll houses, fearful but hopeful. This is why a lot of people don't like the toll. Even traditionalists, even ones that are supposedly uh, strict orthodox, they don't like them either because they say, oh, no, 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 that can't be. How can she fall into those sins and be... She didn't confess. More on that on the next talk. After this, we approach the toll house of unnatural sins, where men and women are accused of homosexuality, sodomy, incest, bestiality, and other revolting deeds performed in secret, shameful and frightening, even to think about. The prince of this torment was more disgusting than any other devil. He was covered with pus and full of stench. His servants were similar to him. The stench that came from them was unbearable, their ugliness was unimaginable, and they were savage and cruel. They surrounded us, but by the grace of God found nothing in me and ran away from us in their shame. We, went, we however, went on. I want to say here that a lot of Orthodox Christians go to worldly magazines to find out about sexual matters, etc., etc. Those, a lot of those magazines, websites, they say wrong things. They encourage unnatural acts, etc., which are forbidden by the church. Don't go for your information to them. They've just about allowed everything now. Everything's allowed. The only, the only things that are still like not allowed or looked down of is pedophilia. But as we can see, that's, the age is decreasing. Before it was 18, 16. Some place it's even 14 for an adult to be with a 14-year-old. So it's going down, down. Who knows how far they're going to go down? Because that's the way the world is, you see. It's got to be free and this, and a person knows what they're doing. So that's going to go down. And the other one is um, incest. That's still looked at as being bad, um, relationship between relatives, etc. But even that, slowly, I've seen, I've noticed, the people have told me as well, that they're in a lot of the things on TV, they make jokes about things like that. And so that's also, they're working on it. Just like they're working on euthanasia through movies and films and all that and looking at all the music in the background and the person's dying and then it shows the loved ones concerned for them and the violins going and then they show them that they put the pillow on their heads and suffocate them to death or something like that. It was out of mercy. And then it shows the bad police come and get them because it's still against the law. They've got to go through the court systems. All these stupidities they did. They did the same for abortion where it showed women that used to go to backyards and they used to come out and get infected and die and you know, get dumped at the hospital and, 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 and all these type of things. And then slowly, slowly through those films, they passed that law in the 70s in America and here where it's allowed for a woman to do that. So they work. You'll see more films coming up with um, pedophilia things and, and the other things that I said. That's how they do it. Whatever Hollywood wants, they get so how do we do it? People, some, some people say, oh, our children, our children, our children. Well, don't let them watch it when they're young. Don't let them get used to the television. I know kids that have never seen television. When they watch it, they can't really follow it because it's too quick. They say, oh, it's too quick. They can't follow it. They're not used to it. They haven't, they're not used to being hypnotised. So why let them watch it? That's how, it's, that's how it happens. But they're only watching Mickey Mouse or something like that. Yeah, they're watching that, and then slowly, slowly, the child gets used to watching, being brainwashed, and then it watches the other... Okay, I'll just read now. 
The holy angel said to me, Theodora, you see the frightening and disgusting tollhouse of the fleshly sexual passions. Know then that few are the souls that pass these tollhouses without being stopped and have, having to pay their ransom. For the whole world lies in wickedness and defilement. Most people love pleasure and sensuality, and from an early age their thoughts incline to wickedness. Very few guard themselves against the imputers of fornication, that is, against impure thoughts, words or deeds. Therefore, very few freely pass by these toll houses. If they come this far, they are stopped here and straight away sent to the depths of Hades. The rulers of the toll houses of fornication boast that they, more than any of the other toll houses, get their victims. It's there where they get people. Some people can make it through the other 17 toll houses or 16, whatever, but when they come to the fornication, adultery, that's where most people are stopped and taken to Hades. The rulers of the toll houses, they boast, um, but you, Theodora, must thank God that you are already past the torments of fornication by the prayers of the holy man Basil, your spiritual father. From this point on, you have nothing to fear. Thereafter, we came to the toll house of heresy, where the demons accused men of unbelief, lack of faith, blasphemy, doubting Christian truth, reasoning perversely concerning the faith, having satanic logic, oh, that's not correct, or I don't believe what the church says this, etc., and um, apostatizing from an orthodox confession and similar sins, denial of... I passed this torment without being tested and could now see the gates of heaven a short distance away. Now, heresy is everywhere. We have to be careful that we... and we don't send our children to heretical schools where they learn heresy because we'll give word and the children come out and don't even know how to do their cross and they talk about purgatory and other... They're, they're, they're confused but they get an education, then you'll have an educated person in hell. Here we were met by the evil spirits of the last toll house, that of mercilessness and hard-heartedness. This is the 20th one. The toll collectors here are cruel and their prince is terrible and dried up and depressed in appearance. Here the souls of the unmerciful are tormented without mercy. Even if one keeps, here we are, even if one kept strict fasts, prayed frequently and guarded and kept the purity of his body, but has been merciless, from this toll house he is cast down into the abyss of Hades and will receive no mercy in all eternity. We, however, by the grace of Christ, pass this place without trouble. For we were helped by the prayers of the holy man Basil, whose good uh, works settled so much of my debt. So now we approach the gate of heaven. We entered joyfully, for we had passed unharmed through the bitter tests of the toll houses. The gates remembered, re resembled crystal and the buildings that stood there glistened like stars. The youths who stood there shone as brightly as the sun seen in me in the arms of the angels. The youths rejoiced and lovingly escorted us into the kingdom, thanking God that he had protected me by his grace and enabled me to escape the toll houses. What marvellous things I saw and heard in heaven, my child Gregory, I could never explain it all to you. I beheld what eyes have not seen, nor he heard, neither has entered in the heart of man still living on earth. The holy angels who had brought me there led me to the throne of God, which was surrounded by the cherubim and the seraphim and a multitude of heavenly hosts that ever sing indescribable hymns in the praise of the Lord. As I fell prostrate before the invisible, incomprehensible God, the angelic powers chanted sweet hymns glorifying the divine compassion that prevails over men's sins. So what does this mean? So she made it in heaven... So does that mean she's a saint? Because I remember I taught in talk 30, if you're saved, 
That means you become a saint. Only saints are in heaven. But how can she be a saint if she fell into all those sins? But let's have a look. It was through the prayers of Basil, the saint of God, that Theodora has been deemed worthy to dwell in that glorious heavenly place of indescribable blessings because she had faithfully ministered to St. Basil for many years in this world and due to his holy prayers, Theodora was granted blessed and eternal life. Theodora is really called, but I didn't say it on purpose for some of you, not because I didn't want to spoil it. She, when I said Theodora, Theodora right through, um, uh, I did that on purpose because I didn't want you to know what happened so that you can have that anticipation. She's not really called Theodora. She's called Saint Theodora and she's commemorated in the Orthodox Church on the December on December the 30th. Now, after listening to that, one can say, yes, fearful, but hopeful, because those Christians who die in a state where they're receptive to God's grace, to receive God's uh, the, the commemorations, if we die with faith, if we die uh, trusting where it says I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come if we die in that state if we die struggling if we die repentant if we've attempted with all our hearts to confess our sins as many as we can remember then we can see from this that Saint Theodora um, was not what see this is what people think we've got that Catholic Western mentality and that's why a lot of people don't like the tiasas, even the traditions, because they say, oh, that's impossible. Only the perfect, the perfect, well, the person. How can she have been saved? How is she a saint? Because God's mercy is so great. Someone said to me the other day that his cousin said to him, God is, is harsh. He's always looking and trying to trap you. Look, you sin. There, I'm going to get you. I'm going to put you in. That's not what God is. It's, that's a wrong view. It's blasphemous to think that God's always on the lookout trying to trap people and trying to take them to hell. No, God does every single thing imaginable to save a person. And that's really the conclusion. The Holy Fathers are not satisfied to just emphasise the existence of demons and their aggressive rage, their hate and anger, in other words, against men, but they also emphasise the way in which we can escape their threats. Yes, they talk about the devil's horrible and angry and evil, but they also tell us how to escape from them. Um, they emphasise the way in which we can escape their threats. By confessing the sins completely, a person is released from cowardice and fear, is filled with love of Christ, and so he is freed from the evil of the demons. In the tradition of the church... It is clearly seen that the demons have no power over the men of God because those who have put on God do not go through such torments. If the ruler of the world has no power over Christ, this is also true of those men who are united with Christ. This is why the fathers advise us to live within the church with repentance, with confession and spiritual works by doing the commandments and that we live and die in the church with the Orthodox faith and the prayers of our Holy Fathers so that the ruler of darkness, the devil, and the spirits of evil may not have power over us. And that, to me, is, is hopeful. Especially when you see a person there with those sins and how she was helped. People have no excuse to say that 
God is cruel and it's this and that. No. Is that the 40 days are important. But even after that, the, a, person who, a person who loves someone and prays for them, God's, God listens to prayers that are done with love. And that's why there are cases of people who went to hell, who were one of those in those groups which says that they were so evil that they weren't going to be saved, that was already determined. But people, their persistence, their prayers, like Saint Theodora, not this one, the Empress, whose husband was Theophilus the Iconoclast, he, he was uh, the Emperor of the Bosnian, of, of Constantinople there, and he demanded all icons be taken down and destroyed, no one was allowed, he killed people, monastics, he persecuted people, he was a madman who, who didn't want um, the icons to be venerated because he thought it was pagan which the Protestants believe as well, because we worship icons, whatever. And he died, and the last few minutes, she brought an icon to him and begged him to kiss the icon, and then, she di and then he died. And then she asked that he be commemorated because he showed repentance. And this was the word he did the most. One day we should look at what he did. He destroyed monasteries. He just killed thousands and thousands of people. He was a, 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 a but there was some repentance at the end. She loved him, Theodora, the empress. She loved him, and what did she do? She prayed and had liturgies served for him and memorials and good deeds, and she wouldn't stop. And then Christ appeared and said, for the sake of the prayers of my priests, I release Theophilus from hell. Amen. Stand up. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen.